Ahoy there, it's your old pal Kevin. Just to let you know, this episode of How To Wrestling has been requested by Ashley Clements over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling. If you like this show and you want to support and you want to get access to some exclusive audio goodies and other content, you can do so by becoming a backer right now at patreon.com slash how to wrestling. If you back for $1, you get access to all of our show notes. A $5 backing gets you access to our back catalogue of bonus episodes. We reviewed all the WWE pay-per-views going back to SummerSlam 2. 2015. So if you want to see New Fan Joe's perspective alongside Cranky Kevin's perspective going all the way back in the last two years as well as things like our Southpaw Regional Wrestling Review, our UK Championship Retrospective and a whole hell of a lot more you get access to our entire back catalogue by becoming a $5 backer. A $10 backing gets you access to our monthly live stream and if you want to be like Ashley Clemens and request an episode a topic, a theme, types of matches or just a good old fashioned wrestler themselves you can do that by becoming a $50 backer. If you want more information about becoming a backer or any questions or queries about the various tiers, all the information is available from HowToWrestling.com, your source for all How To Wrestling needs. And as always, you can always shoot us a message on Facebook or Twitter or HowToWrestling at gmail.com. But for now, thank you to Ashley for requesting this episode and enjoy How To DDP. Greetings, friend, and welcome to the episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first wrestling podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and learn how to sit cross-legged on the couch once again. It's How To DDP. Hello, everyone, once again. I'm Kevin, joined by my amazing partner and explorer in the weird world of wrestling, Joe Graham. Howdy. Howdy. Have you not seen the online campaign? I did. I saw the, the grassroots campaign. The Kickstarter. <laughs> the, uh, Bring the, back Howdy. Oh, I thought it was more of an Indiegogo vibe to it. Like. As if. <laughs> Fuck off. So you're going straight back to Howdy? Uh, yeah, for now. For now? It's what the people wanted. Well, that's good, because I mean, I'm expanding my... Uh, you know, my Cowboy Kevin branding mm. and Howdy is in... I'm not saying you're part of the brand. No, I'm not part of the brand. But it's it's definitely a brand compliant, right. um, you know, intro to, to the podcast, you know. I don't like being Kevin brand compliant. Oh, well, you didn't, then don't go with Howdy then. I mean, simple as. I'm making know. Howdy my own thing. <laughs> Howdy's much... When people hear Howdy, they think of me, not... Cowboy Kevin Matt. So they don't think of the old West, rootin' tootin', sarsaparilla, there's gold in there and their hills, because that's what Howdy says to me. Really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> we have to have a long, honest talk Where about it. Where have you been right? the last hundred years? <laughs> I've been out in the frontiers trying to make a name for myself on the, uh, the railroads. I think it's safe to say that this is the first episode, Joe, where we've talked about someone who really has probably had a real positive impact like on the actual lives not just a oh man that's some great wrestling we got going on here yeah I mean try to think if there is anyone who would come kind of close to that because the only person I can really think of is like Owen Hart like he yeah. brought a lot of joy I yes. think to people's lives outside of wrestling but yeah there's no one we've covered who's quite had such such an impact on literally the, the life and death of wrestlers today we're talking about someone who's definitely got positivity down to a T. It is Diamond Dallas Page. So for this we decided to watch the new documentary that has been released on WWE Home Video which is Positively Living. As you probably no doubt aware by the end of this episode the words positivity 
positive and positively are all synonymous with DDP. Before we sat down to watch any wrestling or anything about DDP's life, what did you know about the man behind the diamond cutter? I mean, first of all, I didn't even know the diamond cutter was a thing. <laughs> I only what? heard about that like two weeks ago. Yeah, it was fun to find out that it's not just leaning back, bringing your arms out to a tee and hulking it out. It's actually an awesome wrestling move as well. Yeah, the more you know. DDP is essentially just my yoga instructor. I mean, that's how I know of him. I mean, what, we've been doing DDP yoga now since January. Yeah. It was our New Year's resolution. We were going to take up some kind of exercise and we, we thought that would be appropriate, seeing as we knew at some point we'll be covering him in an episode and that's literally all I knew about him before we started recording this so before we actually started doing DDP yoga because I had done it on and off myself I mean had you known about had I mentioned DDP yoga to you before January or before we actually started doing it ourselves together you mentioned it quite early on when I met you actually when we first met this is a bit of backstory into our relationship now listeners I was doing Jillian Michaels the 30 day shred hardcore now some of our listeners will be familiar with the shred and um we all shared the pain <laughs> literally just shredding you for yeah, a, a fine grater yeah and i remember when we first met you were doing dp yoga and i was doing the shred and i was all like yeah you should get doing the shred it's like really hard and intense but it's so good and you were like oh i do dp yoga and it's lovely and the guy's just like really laid back and you kind of do it when you want to and you make it your own and, and drink lots of water it's important meanwhile julian michaels was going through a big controversy that she was literally forcing her <laughs> workout members to avoid drinking water so that they'd be less bloated. What? Yeah. What's this? Yeah, that's no, it's a true thing. She was involved in this big scandal. What a fucking heel. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I was like totally advocating for her workout because I, I did enjoy doing it, but... But DDP shits on literally every other workout ever. His whole attitude is amazing. I just love, I love him. It's, it's him. It's, it's his whole being is so positive and welcoming and enthusiastic. And... All right, I've got a, 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 a challenge for you then. Yeah. Can you describe Diamond Dallas Page to someone who's never ever heard him, never even seen him? He's a life changer. Whoa! He's the most positive wrestler ever maybe the nicest man in the world <laughs> i mean who knows interesting yeah no ddp is is fucking awesome so we decided to watch this documentary which is positively living which you can actually watch a preview of in the network but you can get on WWE home video and the whole kind of background of ddp and what's so interesting about it is that he really has a unique story compared to anyone we've talked about he's got one of the most unique entryways interesting ever because 99 percent of the time we're talking about wrestlers it's like was a fan since they were a kid and got into wrestling as soon as they could. Like, yeah. you know, Daniel Bryan graduating and getting in his car and driving eight hours to go and train is what I always think of. Or it's the person who was an amazing natural athlete mm. destined for greatness and became a wrestler. DDP was completely the other end of the spectrum. I love that, though. I love that so much because he comes from wrestling from such an interesting background, but it's still a very relevant one. Yeah, it's definitely the case of transferable skills in the world. Like, there's more wrestling. to wrestling than just being athletic and being really hardworking. And that's the angle, I think, that he is so naturally gifted at is this other angle of personality. Yeah, absolutely. Larger than life. And the whole framing of the documentary is... Diamond Dallas Page is the guy they said would never make it. And I'll tell you off the bat, when I was a kid, I thought DDP was a fucking goof. No! 
Absolutely. Thought he was a total goose. Shut up. I'm cancelling this podcast. I don't want to do a fucking (laughs) podcast with a shit kid who doesn't appreciate DDP. Oh, I'll tell you about it, right? One of the reasons was, and you'll probably pick up on it as we go through some of the documentary and some of the, the matches and stuff, but DDP is someone who has had a lot of crappy things said about him over the years. And he's had someone who was the butt of a lot of jokes. And DDP, before he had obviously done his DDP yoga and helped the lives of a lot of wrestlers, he had this kind of reputation from a lot of like other big-name wrestlers. And we'll talk about it in detail as we go through it, about being like annoying or weird or just like not fitting in to the world of wrestling. I know Michael Hayes at one point said that he was like way too intense yeah michael hayes in this documentary he's one of the talking heads mm. and every time no matter even if it's 10 seconds or three minutes he's dissing ddp <laughs> he manages to find a way to be like ddp is great but he's so fucking annoying <laughs> now let's talk about how he saved jake robert's life oh ddp is so annoying oh i saved hey. it in a really oh. I, bet, I bet he saved his life in a really annoying yeah, way yeah <laughs> but it was really loud and saved him really loudly even his own mother in like the first five minutes yeah. His mom's like, oh, that boy would never shut up. <laughs> Fucking horrible. So DDP came from you know quite humble upbringings in Jersey. He pretty much raised himself in his own words. His dad left from a very, very young age. His dad had problems with alcohol and drugs. So he left and DDP was left in the care of his grandmother. He had a lot of things working against him throughout his whole life. Like the fact that DDP was badly dyslexic when he was a youngster. Yeah, he was saying that he had ADD and dyslexia. But it was because he grew up in a time when they that wasn't... A thing that like existed. It was it's, before yeah. diagnoses of that. It's the thing that I, I hate this now. You see it sometimes on like Facebook shared by like, you know, the horrid uncle that we all one of us always has, mm. who's always like, Oh yeah, ADD didn't exist in my day because we know we had common sense. And it's you hear shit like this stuff happening to DDP. Oh yeah. Undiagnosed and how much it prevented him from achieving like what he wanted to back when i was teaching it was something that i had to like do all the time particularly i took adult classes for a while and i found any time as a science teacher i started talking about things like you know autism mental health anything or your learning disabilities or learning difficulties or anything like that i'd always have like well you know when my day you know we would never get these diagnoses and now there's something wrong with all of them all the time it's like well yeah but you can't diagnose something before you know what it is and that happens quite a lot and I feel that's like there's so many people who that's the case for like I know yeah. I know people like in my parents generation and yeah. it's like oh they were just weird or they were just no good at school or, and they just had learning difficulties yeah literally you know? that's it and it's awesome seeing that obviously he's done so well for himself you know even with ADD and dyslexia and not having able to have those diagnosed and treated unlike nowadays he couldn't read until he was 31. Are you serious? He couldn't read, like, properly. He couldn't read. He could do the the basics, like, the very, very functional basics. Couldn't actually read until his 30s. Because that's amazing. I know he was saying at one point later on in the documentary, he mentions he had homework for himself, like, every week he'd read, like, a page of a book. I figured he was found it hard. I didn't realise he literally couldn't read until that age. Yeah, what he did was to force himself to read and to overcome it. It was that he would say he'd read, like, it was a page or two of... It was... I think it was the guy who, like, Henry Ford or someone. It was some captain of industry in America. 
it was like their autobiography. Every day I'm going to read like two pages of it, no matter what. And he said that him and his wife used to cover the house and like post-it notes saying, you know, read, make sure you read, no matter what. And he said even if it took him an hour or whatever, he would make sure, as long as he could do it out loud and just make his way through it. And that's like how he did it. And that's amazing. Yeah, and I think it's one of the things that, you know, when you have somebody who's very synonymous with helping wrestlers and is very synonymous with, you know, yoga and all that stuff, you know, he actually did a lot of work while he was in WCW and in later years with advocacy for people with learning difficulties and getting kids to read and recognizing that no, you're not just because even in this day and age, there are loads of kids who've got learning difficulties who think, "Oh, I'm just dumb," I guess. Yeah. And hearing someone like DDP being like not ashamed of that and yeah. talking about overcoming it, I think is really fucking awesome. It's yeah, it's so cool, and he's clearly not. I mean, I hate the word dumb anyway, but he's an incredibly intelligent man. Like. Yeah dyslexia and ADD, any kind of learning disability has nothing to do with that. Absolutely. So he got into the nightclub business at the ripe age of 17 years old. What a time to get into the seedy underbelly. Seriously. fucking clubs in New Jersey at 17. But he made a lot of connections that way. And DDP was always a big, massive wrestling fan. And one of the kind of things was that the wrestlers, when they were going to New Jersey, you know, any of the companies, they would always stop by you know, one of DDP's clubs, and he was known as a guy because he loved wrestling so much. He'd always make sure that the guys all got private rooms and were well looked after and all that, and he just wanted to talk wrestling yeah. with wrestlers. Like, pretty much it. Like, wanted to mark out. Yeah, and he was known as the Prince of the Promo. Yeah. Which is funny, again, you were saying transferable skills, mm. like, and you're talking about how he was, you know, able to translate some of that stuff. DDP was making a name for himself in the club business by cutting promos about shit that was happening in Norma Jean's, his club. He was known as The Voice. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was saying he did all his own radio adverts yeah. for Norma Jean's, his club. He'd do it all himself. Yeah, he'd just do all these weird voices going, good God, man. You I know? Mean, it makes sense when you think about the kind of stuff a like, nightclub promoter has to do. Like, You do have to talk on stage in front of like hundred, potentially hundreds of hundreds yeah. of people. That I mean, that's hard. And those people, you know, I, I speak as someone who's on stand-up comedy in multiple environments the worst environment to stand-up comedy or any sort of face-to-face public performance is when people are drunk (laughs) (laughs) that's like you know so that takes balls and that's obviously something that you know he was able to to really hone a skill there and he was like known all around the area for doing these amazing promos and having this ridiculous voice and you you'd hear that voice on the radio like oh it's it's norma jeans it's the voice so he actually gave wrestling a whirl when he was quite young, he had like one or two little matches and he immediately got injured and immediately quit. <laughs> yeah, that's because that, I knew, obviously I knew he got into wrestling late in life, but I didn't realise that he'd tried at a young age mm. and then just sort of gave up. I mean, I'm not judging him at all for giving up. I mean, you would, wouldn't you? You'd get injured. You'd be yeah. like, well, that, yeah, I don't want to make myself worse. And mm. This is hard. I mean, wrestling is so fucking hard yeah that's just i mean that's just the way it is you look at the amount of people who apply to go to wrestling school the amount of those people who become wrestlers i'm not even saying become successes i'm saying become trained wrestlers who can actually do it well of course he had something really working against him was that he had a really bum knee for his entire career like he really badly hurt it yeah he was in like a car accident he got hit by a car and (laughs) i don't know if that's how he injured his knee in the first place or if he'd already injured it in like when he was trying out for wrestling or what happened but either way that like fucked up his knee properly he's talking about the documentary he's like yeah I went like 40 feet into the ditch or whatever yeah. and I was like what <laughs> 
he talked as well about meeting someone who I didn't know what you'd think of them, but I think she's your new hero and role model. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page's ex-wife, Kimberly. Yeah, I'm literally in love with her. Why do you like so Kimberly much. so much? I just think she's like really cool. She's mm. like lovely. Obviously, like and you can't be in a relationship with DDP and not be like one of the nicest people ever. I, I believe that. <laughs> she seems really nice and just really hardworking and clever and she's into marketing it's a passion of mine yeah and i just i admire her so much i think she gets wrestling yeah absolutely i think it's really cool because she had a background in things like dance and whatnot Mm. and how she actually got into to wrestling was just because ddp used to always want to have girls come to the ring with him and then he would use her now and then and then it was just like oh she's better at this than all the women you've been bringing in just use your wife she is stunningly beautiful like possibly the most beautiful woman on this earth you know her beauty has touched joe graham when she's on her imdb going she was in a fan film as catwoman she'd make a great catwoman she would make a great catwoman (laughs) let's be honest he also talked as well about when he was in Norma Jean's that he got to meet some kind of influential people in his life, uh, notably Jake the Snake Roberts, who is someone that will obviously be doing an episode of Down the Line. But Jake the Snake was someone who obviously everyone knows, you know, the DDP, one of his big things is that he helped Jake the Snake, who was a very, he was struggling with addiction and a lot of health problems. He helped him and, you know, helped rehabilitate him and help him get back on his feet. And Jake is doing awesome now. But a lot of people don't know that one of the original people who really helped out DDP and giving him ideas about wrestling. But a lot of people don't maybe realise that one of the people who originally helped out DDP and you know gave him you know advice and mentored him in a capacity was Jake the Snake Roberts. Of course, that was probably over a bottle of whiskey in a seedy nightclub in New Jersey, but it was advice nonetheless. Like. So would that have been during Jake the Snake, Robert's whole time of sad alcoholism, or would that have been more like peak of his career? It would have been just after the peak of his career, so like the early 90s and stuff like right. that would have been around the time he was kind of giving him advice and stuff like that. And I'll be honest, I'm someone who, you've been a wrestling fan for a long time, and you, you get a certain cynicism about always assuming the worst of a lot of wrestlers. And there was always a small part of me that was like, this whole thing about Jake Roberts mentoring him and giving him back. Like, I was convinced he was just saying that to be nice and to give a reason for him doing this. I was like, he didn't actually. And I went out of my way to find interviews with DDP from before he had anything to do with Jake or before DDP yoga was a thing or anything like that. And he was right up front saying, Jake the Snake, huge influence, mentored me. I owe him so much. So that closes the case on that one for me trying to be cynical about it. Yeah, I mean, you can (laughs) see as well when he talks about Jake the Snake, he's such a fan. He loves him. Like, you can tell he's a massive influence. And that's a huge thing about DDP as well, is that you can tell that he is definitely a massive wrestling fan. Yeah. Like, you know. A lot of people think one of the reasons that actually convinced DDP to get into wrestling was the fact that he would always get the wrestlers over, you know, into his club. He'd ply them with liquor, he'd show them a good time, and then they'd all be fucking having a great time. Be like, oh, you're, you're tall, you're fucking... <laughs> you should be a fucking wrestler, like... You know, if you're tall... And mildly entertaining around wrestlers for long enough, they'll tell you to become a wrestler. <laughs> Have you been told that? I was told once I should become a wrestler, yes. I bet you've been told more than once. No, it was only once, but it's the only time I've been mildly entertaining around a group of, of, of wrestlers. Oh, I see. So, you know. I mean, you are tall and you are entertaining. The, the band Fight Like Apes did a special wrestling-themed show in Dublin and they wanted to have a bad guy wrestler and they wanted the bad guy wrestler to have an evil manager and I was the, the evil manager of the bad guy wrestler. It was uh, Paul Tracy, who's uh, 
helped train people like Finn Balor and whatnot. Old school Irish wrestler. Called him Paul Darcy when I introduced him. He did not like me. But afterwards, he told me I should become a wrestler because I was told. Ah, so, okay. ah, ah, swings and roundabout. So the actual genesis of the name, Diamond Dallas Page, it was just a character that he came up with for his radio spots. He was actually interviewed for like a local TV show. They were like, oh, do you ever know those weird ads you always hear on the radio? Well, we caught up with the guy behind The Voice. And literally he was like, oh, here's, you know, here's the bar, here's the office. And he sat down behind the office and he put on a pair of sunglasses and they go, who's the, who's the voice? And he goes, the voice belongs to Diamond Dallas Page, the greatest manager in professional wrestling. You said it kind of like as a joke. Yeah. Before you know it, he gets some connections, people see the spot and he finds himself in the AWA working as a manager with a group of people called the Diamond Exchange. He had made up a videotape of him and all his buddies and he would interview them and he would you know, hype them up and make them out like they're these big wrestlers, these big tough guys. Most of them were just his mates wearing different masks or doing voices. It's funny because like, <laughs> I guess working in the nightclub industry, your friends would naturally be like beautiful models and like big giant hulking bouncer yeah. types. Yeah. <laughs> Which is basically wrestling. <laughs> so he went to the AWA, but he had to explain to them, no, it's just me. I, the, those are actually wrestling. <laughs> that, that's just like three or four of my mates in different hats. Yeah. <laughs> This is the AWA, which is the same place where we saw Paul Heyman and Kurt Hennig and whatnot. It was uh, kind of in its heyday in the early 80s. It was a big deal. By the time DDP rolled around, it was literally dying a death. He was brought in, though, to replace someone we've talked about quite recently. Paulie Dangerously, which is really funny because there are so many similarities between DDP and Paul Heyman. So what kind of similarities do you see between those two? The ability to manipulate people positively. (laughs) Like, to motivate people, basically. Mm, Like, they both know how to bring out the best in a person. If we're to go to the D&D wrestling alignment chart, because I'm pretty sure... Whatever it is, is that Heyman is the evil version of Oh, yeah, of I kind of believe, yeah, that Heyman is motivated by his own greed. Yeah. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. Whereas DDP, he just loves being helpful, I think. <laughs> he's, a, he's a much purer boy, I think, generally yeah. speaking. <laughs> so he was replacing Paul E. Dangerously, and Paul E. Dangerously in AWA was... And it's funny, when we talked about Paul E. in AWA, it was like, oh, yeah, the company was dying, it was, you know, he was on his way out, and DDP comes in after the guy who was there when it was dying, so it was really on its last legs. But that's how he got in, though. That's like, exactly Like, he literally it. wouldn't have had that opportunity if it had been doing well. Yeah. Because he, he wasn't, he didn't have that experience. They were desperate. Yeah. He could talk... He had all the gimmicks. He could bring in girls. He literally just got all of his... Because he wore all the stupid shit from being yeah. a club promoter. He had like... Do you mean, what do you think of the fashion of DDP from around this time, Eric? Oh, it's he's, great. You, I you love fan? it. Yeah, I think it's really, really good. <laughs> he would wear ridiculously big sunglasses, like 20 rings on every finger, big cha- gold chain. He'd have, you know, the, the cowboy boots, the leopard print trousers, the leather jacket. He would look like an absolute hodgepodge and mismatch Hmm. someone in the documentary described DDP as being basically every single bad wrestling stereotype Mm. rolled into one yeah (laughs) that's accurate like if you're watching something that does a one-off wrestling episode and the bad guy manager shows up there's a good chance it looks like early years Diamond Dallas Page (laughs) but he had a mantra that he was going by when he got into the AWA which was the quickest way to get there to where you want to go is to act like you've already been there and to have that confidence. I think that's another Henry Ford quote. Yeah, is it? It's Henry Ford or someone else like that. Yeah. I bet he's got a calendar or a, or a little book oh, or totally. something like that. Yeah. Totally. 
the problem with DDP as being a manager, and it's something I realized when I was like 17, I was like, I couldn't be a wrestler, but maybe I could be a manager. No, you're too tall. DDP was too tall to be a manager. Too tall and too... Not just too tall, though. It was also that he was too big, too loud, too... too distracting. Distracting, yeah. <laughs> and that's, like, probably partly his own fault for dressing like that, because, yeah, duh. But also something just naturally about him that is very larger than life. I think as well, it's around this time you can see why a lot of people thought that DDP was, like, a tryhard. Yeah. You know, he was throwing everything against the wall and seeing what would stick, and he was being too over the top. And in 80s and 90s wrestling, if you managed to somehow be over the top in a world full of cartoon characters where it was really wacky at the time, you know you're doing something probably wrong. (laughs) I was so surprised to hear how many of the wrestlers they interviewed say that they thought he loved himself too much. Mm. Like he seemed too arrogant, too obsessed with himself. I think, again, that's what he was saying. He was like, you you want to get there, you act like you've been there. Mm. And part of that is confidence and... Mm. Guy who's no wrestling background, who's done some fucking radio spots on some bar or something like that, coming in, all of a sudden he's he's, a, he's an easy target for kind of old veterans of the time. Yeah, It's just the way it goes, usually. And again, more parallels with Paulie Dangerously, because after he leaves AWA, he heads down to Florida, where he gets mentored by Dusty Rhodes. Seriously, Dusty Rhodes is becoming a theme here. Yeah, I mean, when we finally do an episode in The Dream, it's going to be amazing just to look back... The long list of people who are like, oh, I got mentored by... How do you find time? Right up to the current day roster. Yeah. Like, Bailey. (laughs) It's crazy. It's so weird for me to think, like, someone like DDP who's been working in the industry for, what, 40? 40 years? Is that too long? What, DDP? DDP. How long has he been? 30. 30? I mean, that's a long fucking... That's that's longer than Bailey's probably been alive. It's crazy to think. (laughs) The the wingspan of Dusty Rhodes to have all these people under his wing that he's taken is quite incredible. I do look forward to doing his episode. But it's just great because, I mean, Dusty Rhodes, he always seems to be drawn to certain people. The people who've got, like... The, the charisma, but maybe, you know, not all the tools just yet. Dusty Rhodes is almost like, kind of like a finishing skill. He's yes, kind of like, yes. you, you know you've got the basics already, yeah. but here are the kind of secrets, and this is how you become a superstar. Dusty Rhodes told DDP that he thought he was a star, but he was going to be the next Jesse Ventura. So he was going to be the next big colour commentator and manager. He didn't think he'd be a wrestler. And actually, when DDP first said he was going to become a wrestler, Dusty Rhodes was like, I don't think you should. Because your future, you're going to be the superstar, colour commentator and manager. But it just didn't work out that way. The great story of WrestleMania 6 and mm-hmm. how Diamond Dallas Page managed to get himself onto a WWF pay-per-view, despite the fact that he was not under contract at the time. There was a tag team called Rhythm and Bruise. Terrible. So they're beating people up, innit? Because they get bruises. They wanted to come out. They had like a rockabilly type gimmick. They wanted an old timey car. Someone's like, I know who's got a car. Parked out in front of Norma Jean's is that big 1965 pink yeah, Cadillac. Yeah, specifically a nice car. Wasn't yeah. they had like some old shit car? No, he's not got our Kenzo Suzuki, Suzuki Swift. Swift. No, <laughs> so he's not got that like. He's not going to have to like try and push it down the ramp to make it actually turn on. Ask all McDonald's employees to give him a hand because it won't start. True story. But <laughs> to trust DDP to have a 1965 pink Cadillac... Well, I suppose the nightclub industry is, is pretty profitable and he was clearly doing well with Norma Jeans. But that was his old branding. It was Norma yeah. Jeans outside the pink Cadillac. You see the pink Cadillac. That was like <laughs> how people knew where it was and he would always mention it in his ads. It's and really clever. I is. love that. And I just love 
this C and DDP, and he's in the chauffeur uniform. He's got the hat and the glasses on and the suit. You can barely see, but if you look real close in that old grainy footage, you can see driving the ring. Some curls. He's got the biggest fucking smile in the world. He's so fucking delighted to be there. Now, when I was a kid, I remember reading stuff going, you see that fucking DDP? He was such a mark. He drove all the way to WrestleMania and begged him to let him drive his car. Like, <laughs> what a mark. Now, I look at that and go, man, what fucking hustle. That's yeah. awesome. I'd fucking do that if I could. Hell yes. <laughs> Anyone who says that if they had a cool car and they were offered to drive down the ramp at WrestleMania and they wouldn't do it, that's a lie. Yeah, man, seriously. All of us would do it. I mean, that's exactly the reason why you would buy a yes. pink Cadillac. What is the point of having a pink Cadillac if you don't get to drive it down the ramp at WrestleMania? I'm just saying, if I was a Cadillac salesman and I had a pink one out front, mm. I'd be like, look, it's a fucking eyesore, but... You never know when the WWE is going to call. Yeah. <laughs> we got to see as well, and this is honestly oh, no. worth watching this documentary for, because a lot of people know Paige's story, and a lot of times when you know their story, you think, I'm not going to watch that documentary. Watch this documentary solely to see the behind-the-scenes footage of DDP's tryout to be the next Jesse Ventura on WWE. It's so bad. <laughs> it makes me... I'm actually like feeling genuinely sad just thinking about like it starts off okay and then you see he gets like a flicker of doubt and he stumbles on one of his words and he's like no no no, no, no. there's gonna be body slams there's gonna be jams there's gonna be I'm sorry I'm nervous I can't do it Vince I'm so oh Jesus whoa <laughs> WWF have got like a gold mine I think because there's loads of people who tried out with them yeah particularly for announcing gigs and they just put a camera on they should on just you. do like a they release them all on their YouTube channel because oh, it would be gold man, that would be such oh I want to see gold. all of them so he got good news all around this time because even though his tryout with WWF didn't work Dusty Rhodes was taking over as head of WCW. Now, we're going to have a few WCW-themed episodes over the next few weeks and months, uh, starting obviously with our DDP episode here. More on what was coming next at the end of the episode, as always. But something that is common in WCW, and you'll probably hear me saying this a lot, Joe, is, and then someone else took over writing and the creative, mm. and it all changed. Unlike in WWF, where Vince McMahon's in control and kind of top down from him, the writers and producers all kind of do whatever he wants. Because WCW was owned by Ted Turner and kind of a big global corporation, they would just bring in, all right, this guy's in charge. Mm. Ah, that's not working out. Now this guy's in charge. And you've had a who's who of wrestling being in charge of running WCW and booking WCW. So at this point, Dusty Rhodes gets brought in. And oftentimes at WCW, the problem was, was that you couldn't get a job because the guy who's currently the booker doesn't like you right but now the guy coming in does like you so you can get a job so the rumor was that dusty was taking over so ddp literally rang him up and said should i move to atlanta which is where wcw is and dusty Rhodes is like yes probably you should so ddp moved his whole life including his wife kimberly and everything all down to atlanta from jersey and gave up all of his nightclub business and all that on pretty much a whim yeah. that a guy who he knows was taking over the booking in WCW. That is like pretty ballsy shit. It's 
very scary. And it seems to be like quite a common theme of DDP, like that he will take the leap. If he wants mm. to do something, he'll just do it. Yeah, it's really, it's... it's, it's Admirable. Admirable. I would never be like that. <laughs> I, just, I think about like when like I was moving to Manchester from like Lincolnshire and like I had a job all lined up and all this, like, everything was pretty much all right and I was still really nervous. <laughs> I couldn't pack up my life like no. that on, on a whim. It's incredible. Although you say that, you literally moved countries, so... That's true. You've kind of already done it. That's that was just the escape the famine though you know wow. so I mean what can you do so he became a manager and a commentator in WCW and this is during a time when WCW was a distant number two to the World Wrestling Federation DDP was a commentator in WCW he would commentate with the likes of JR and whatnot he was also a manager and he had his you know various people who he managed he had the diamond exchange including someone we'll be talking about in an upcoming episode Scott Hall who was brought in and again, DDP is like someone who's helped Scott Hall in real life. And he helped him here in his wrestling career as well. Because Scott Hall had already been to WCW and he failed. Yeah. And he was like, hey, can we bring in Scott Hall? And everyone's like, well, he's already been here. Like, they're going to recognize him. He's not, not going to be any good. And Scott Hall is naturally a big blonde guy. And DDP says to him, dye your hair like jet jet black like blue black almost and cut your beard to be like George Michael had you know that kind of weird stubble beard at the mm. time it's like cut your beard to be like that and I swear to god like you know we'll get you over and he changed his look they brought him in they're like yeah awesome bring him in He look, and most of the people didn't even realise it was a guy who'd been there before seriously and like Scott Hall was so like oh no I can't do this and it looks stupid DDP was like seriously do it and he got him into WCW and really helped him out that's so weird it's so incredible like mainly it's weird because I didn't know that Scott Hall ever had blonde hair yeah <laughs> so his weird greasy long black hair you can owe that to Diamond Dallas Page DDP is the king of rebranding I'm pretty yeah <laughs> he gets it like no one else yeah that's unbelievable so whenever I mentioned that WCW always had people changing hands and new people coming in well someone new came in and took over and that person decided that DDP was too tall and too gimmicky to be a manager so he was telling them pretty much unless you become a wrestler we have no use for you so at age 35 and a half, nearly 36, DDP decides, I'm going to train to be a wrestler. Which, when I was a kid, I was like, that's not old. That's only 35 and a half. You thought that wasn't old as a kid? Yeah, I thought that was, like, I assumed wrestlers are adults. So. Wow. <laughs> and that is an adult age. When I was a kid, 35 would have seemed really old. But I didn't realise that wrestling was like, you know, to, to, to go into episode one Star Wars territory. I didn't realise too old for the training he would be. Yeah. You know, I didn't realise you had to like do it from such a young age. Yeah. I was always thought, oh, you could do it in your 30s, right? Fuck no. <laughs> 35 and a half with a shitty knee. Yeah. That does not happen. Like It's so impressive. It's, yeah. The grit you need to do shit like that. It's just incredible. Because I was trying to look up and research and see, are there any other people who've had a real late entry into the world of wrestling? The only one who comes close is like uh, Trent Seven. Yeah. He, he got in when he was like 27 or 28. Mm. He, he started wrestling, which was, even at that age, he's nearly 10 years younger. It's considered, whoa, way too late, man. What the fuck? Yeah. And we actually got a load of tweets from people specifically saying DDP, like, motivated them because they were like you know in their late 20s and decided they wanted to try something new like wrestling and they thought oh no way I can do that and they're like no he's he could do it I can do it and that's pretty cool he can be a motivation for people yeah absolutely if you can see it you can be it 
<laughs> and that's that's positive thinking right there, which yeah. I don't think his peers shared with them. <laughs> it sounds like pretty much everyone, including his wife, was like, don't do it. You can't do it. You're sp- stupid. Do not try to do this. It's a very, very bad decision. Mick Foley, who was definitely silver medal for a nicest man in wrestling, said he had minimal at best chances. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's tr- probably true. Yeah. He is so lucky to have, like... And, and not just as well, like, hey, you know what? I'm decided I'm going to become a wrestler. It's like, holy shit, my job is at, is being threatened here, my livelihood. Yeah. Well, Every- I mean, you pick up a move, literally state. Mm. You get rid of your incredibly profitable nightclub business to do wrestling. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah. It's scary to think. And he just had this, like, ridiculous work ethic. It was really cool to hear people like Triple H, who would have been training in WCW, their version of the performance center or their training center was called the power plant, which I think you may have seen briefly before when we watched that Louis Theroux documentary. Yeah, where they're all really mean and they like beat him up until he is sick. Yeah, so that's where DDP went to learn to wrestle. I'm pretty sure he's got a lot more credibility than Louis Theroux did, but I'm pretty sure if you're 35 and a half starting wrestling training, the mean trainers would be mean to you. Oh, I'm pretty sure. In the fucking power plant. But Triple H was like starting off at the time and he was like, yeah, this guy, this ridiculous... Triple H was like a young guy in his 20s seeing this dude in his, you know, late 30s coming in and... Like, he would work out, like, every single day. He would always be trying. Yeah. And people actually... A lot... I never told you I heard that he was a goof when I was a kid. Mm. A lot of times about it would be, like, the weird shit that DDP was doing to try and make himself better. Like, he would videotape every single one of his matches. That makes perfect sense. Of fucking course he did. And people thought it was weird because... No, that's so clever. He put the camera in the corner and, like, house shows, no matter if it was ten people or whoever it was, he would always film his match. And then he would sit down yeah. with a notebook, rewatch the match, and he would annoy everyone going, watch the match with me. How could it be better? What did I do wrong? And I just think, I like... I fucking love that. That's, that's, yeah. that's deliberate practice. I think I mentioned on this podcast before, but the way to do anything really, really well, like to be the best at it you can possibly be, is deliberate practice. Google it if you've not heard of it. It's it's a thing. It's true. And if you're somebody who's like, for instance, is doing a podcast and you yeah. want your podcast to get better, the number one thing I always advise anyone is listen to every episode, even yeah. the ones you don't like. Take notes. Write down everything that you did that you think was shit. If I have to listen to the WrestleMania 14 episode of the Ashtiara podcast, <laughs> then you have to listen to your bad episodes as well, okay? <laughs> but I just love that because it's like his whole character when he became super over and a superstar was about he had, you know, he worked for everything he had. No one handled him anything. He worked from the ground up. And the announcers would actually tell stories on they'd be like oh you know, he used to videotape all of his matches and lots of people thought oh it's just the thing the announcers are saying but when Foley wrote in his book and other people collaborated it's like no he actually yeah. did do this because I don't think really I don't think he could have achieved what he did if he hadn't you don't just get good at wrestling like naturally unless you do it from a really young age if you're starting off at 35 you've got to try 10 times harder than everyone else and it's funny because for every story I heard of people going oh he was weird because he would always want to plan his matches way too much and overthink everything and he would you know he'd want to like write down bullet points of the main things we're going to do in the match and loads of people hated working with him early on because they thought it was really annoying and just too much hassle but I've you know read interviews with him and I've read parts of his book where he's like you know the whole time I'm there I know I've got a big clock over my head that's counting down and I don't have the luxury to be like ah you know we'll call it in the ring and I'll get better just kind of hoping to travel the roads and learn he had to do it he had five years he said yeah Yeah. 
I can understand getting a bad reputation, I guess, from... He was, like, working too hard in some people's minds. I don't know. I wonder if something like that would be considered working too hard in this day and age where wrestling, I think, has taken a bit more... I, I know that some people will disagree with this, but I think it's taken more seriously in a way. Mm. Like, back in the 80s, where it seemed much more about the partying and shit mm. like that. Like, the training wasn't as important as it is considered now in wrestling. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure the idea now of people watching their matches back... I mean, obviously they do. Yeah. Of course they fucking do. Yeah. You know, and like the fact that he was made fun of it for back then, it just shows, I guess, again, ahead of his time, really. Totally. One thing I thought was really fascinating was... Um, I think it was Triple H said that DDP was the first wrestler to start icing his body after yes. workouts. That's incredible. That's incredible. That's like significantly big. Again, another thing I remember reading about as a kid, it was like, oh, what a fucking weirdo. DDP would always be covered in ice and it was so stupid. And I was like, oh, what an idiot he Looking is. Looking after his body. Big weirdo. Like. <laughs> but it's because I remember specifically in Foley's book, he was like, yeah, DDP would literally come out like covered in cling film and ice. And they, like he talked about how weird it was and how like how everyone thought it was so strange and DDP would be like, oh, it's going to you know, take 10 years off my joints and all that stuff. And it was like, yeah, right, man. And you know what? (laughs) It fucking worked. (laughs) Around about the time when DDP was kind of waking his way up through the ranks in wrestling, he did have one or two things that really started to stick. He was known as someone who had too many gimmicks because he would have his cigar and he would have the sunglasses and the diamond dolls and he would have a cane and he would have, you know, one week he'd have a robe and the next would be a jacket and he'd have a hat, you know, just too many things. Yeah, so he was told that he was being way too over-gimmicked or whatever. I don't, is that a word? Over-gimmicked? <laughs> Laden with gimmicks. Yeah. He's over-encumbered and cannot run. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> too many gimmicks. And uh, Eric Bischoff, who was, he was running, what's the name of the show again? WCW. So Eric Bischoff, who was running WCW at the time, gave him some expert advice, which was to lose all the unnecessary gimmicks and keep it simple, stupid. I thought it was quite funny because Chanel Coco famously had very similar ethos to life. Are you comparing Eric Bischoff to yep. Coco Chanel? Yeah, I am. Funny fact about Eric Bischoff was he ran WCW for a while and a huge thing about him and DDP was the fact that they were neighbours. And a huge, huge thing that was always held against DDP was the fact that he was Eric Bischoff's neighbour. Now, they're not next door neighbour. They lived in, like, the same street. Okay. They were both moved to Atlanta at, like, the same time. And Dusty Rhodes' wife was a real estate agent. And she didn't know. Oh. She just sold them. She was selling these houses. And she sold one to him and sold one to him. Like, oh, we live, like, on the same street. <laughs> but people were always like, oh, Eric Bischoff, he's neighbours with DDP. DDP only got interested a few years ago. He's his boy. He's getting favours. I mean. It's not very fair to say it's the only... I'm sure it did help. But come on, look at what DDP has done to get to where he's at at this point. <laughs> but again, it's another plate of like stinking cynical garbage yeah. that me as a kid was like, I'm num num num, DDP is shit, I'm num 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 num. He only got anything because, you know... I mean, there are huge, there were huge problems at WCW. We will talk about those over the next few weeks. But yeah, I think that was always a little bit mean that people held that so strongly against him. Yeah. Like, what do you do, move house so you don't appear to be nepotistic? I don't know, it's silly. Yeah. But two gimmicks that he kept and two things that struck a chord and were super, super over were firstly, his finishing move, the diamond cutter, and secondly, was the symbol that he would do where he'd hold his hands up like a shape of a diamond. And that got over massively because he would do the move and you could just see in the audience everyone would be putting their yeah. hands up. And it's something I think that so few wrestlers utilise these days is 
Fans want to do a thing that you do. Yeah. They want to have a... You know, you say a bit in the microphone, they say a bit back. It's a way of communicating. Exactly. You do a hand gesture, they do the hand gesture. And fucking no one is doing that really. It's why days. Daniel Bryan has, I think, the cleverest gimmick ever. Because like, it's basically yes, yeah. Are you serious? That's going to go down <laughs> forever. Absolutely. Like, 50 years after Daniel Bryan is dead, fans will still be going, yes. <laughs> and they'll still be going, what? And hopefully yep. they won't be going 10. <laughs> But the funny thing about that symbol, the diamond cutter, he knew it was a hot commodity straight away. Mm. He registered a trademark for it. Really? And a couple of years down the line, you never guess who started using that in all of his music videos and in concerts. Who? Jay-Z. Oh. Jay-Z started doing the diamond sign. Wow. And DDP thought, oh, bro, it's great. It's an homage. Jay-Z likes DDP. It wasn't. And when he found that out... DDP sued him. Nice. <laughs> and DDP won. They settled out of court and Jay-Z's not allowed to do the, the diamond cutter symbol anymore. Some indie band a few years ago did a, like also did like did an album cover that was the hands and DDP again. He's like Tom Waits. If you use his shit, he's coming after you. He's coming for that dollar like. It's quite nice that what so he'd let you do it as long as it's an homage. Uh, I don't know. I'm just saying he successfully sued two musicians, one super famous, one not famous. Well, that's not the only time Jay-Z's been sued for using things without his permission. Oh, really? What else has he used? Oh, he used some music from King Crimson's. In, in one of his songs, he used a bit from one of the King Crimson. Oh, is that I Got 99 Problems, but the court of the Crimson King ain't one? Yeah, ah, the famous track. Damn. And they, they sued him. <laughs> <laughs> but the Diamond Cutter, as a, as a finishing move... I mean, we watched a few of his matches. What do you think of that diamond cutter? Oh, it's awesome. I love the diamond cutter so much. It's similar to what Randy Orton does. The RKO. Yeah. And what's funny about that is that DDP tells the story that the moment he retired and Randy was starting WWE, he rang up and said, Bro, I want you to do my finish. I want you to have the diamond cutter. And Randy Orton was like, I'm so honoured that you'll do the diamond cutter. And like Randy Orton was asked for an interview and he's like, no, <laughs> literally never happened. He just stole it instead. So, but I mean, he's not the first person to do like a you know a move like that. I mean, a lot of people have done very similar kind of neckbreaker type moves. But I guess it was just the fact that like DDP is so enthusiastic about his move that I think that story fit in with his reality a little bit better. Aww. But around that time, Triple H had just debuted in WWF, and he before he did the pedigree started doing. The Diamond Cutter, as did Stone Cold Steve Austin as well when he debuted as the Ringmaster. What, both just nicking DDP's move? Well, they did it like once or twice on TV and DDP literally rang them up and was like, literally, please don't take my move. This is Why like the were one... they doing that? Just, they thought it was a cool move. And he begged them, please don't use it. And they didn't use it. So he could try and keep... Because that move got him over, the, the Diamond Cutter. That's really shitty for them to just take his move. Wrestlers steal moves all the time. It's crazy. I mean, Seth Rollins' new finisher is literally just stolen from Kenny Omega. He just took it. You yeah, know? it's pretty rubbish. It's it's a thing in wrestling, but DDP was obviously managed to negotiate it. You'd have to settle out of court with Triple H or Steve Austin or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> They're not Jay-Z, obviously, yeah. but still. He got over massively at this time, and it was because of the diamond cutter. It was because he had that blue-collar gimmick that he was a guy who pulled himself up by his bootstraps. He worked his ass off, and he became a wrestling star solely on his own merit. I have a question. Yeah. So you, growing up, you didn't think any of that whole story was true then? Which story? The whole bootstraps thing. 
I, I thought genuinely when I was a kid, and keep in mind, when I was a kid, this was the middle of the Attitude Era, when WWF was in a really bitter feud with WCW. They would run their TV shows right opposite each other, and they would do, you know, really, really harsh things to each other to try and get one up on the, on the brand. Mm. And I was hardcore WWF, so I hated WCW out of principle as a child. Right, I see. And as soon as I read books where it's like, who are these? A lot of the guys at WCW were guys who were stars in WWF, like Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Whereas the few guys at WCW who were WCW guys, like DDP and Sting and Goldberg, I had extra hatred for them because they were, oh, WCW. And then if you're a kid and you read, hey, this DDP guy is a weirdo, and also he he's neighbours with Eric Bischoff, who, as a child, I was convinced, was actually Satan. Right. Like, no jokes, mm. was Satan. Then, yeah, I obviously thought it was all bullshit. DDP was just some guy who was handed everything and fuck him. So did you hear at all about him working really hard and all this? Yeah, but I thought it was just a gimmick. You just thought it was made up? <laughs> so just something they would say, yeah, sure he did. Yeah, sure he did. That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Such was the cynicism of a 10-year-old boy. I mean, to be fair, wrestling makes up so much shit. Who, yeah. who the fuck knows what's real and what's not unless you have research and resources to it, find out. It was seriously tribal warfare back then. Like yeah. me and my mate Michael had a fallen egg because he liked it. he got WCW action figures. I was like, we can't play wrestling toys anymore. Wow. You and me we're fuck we're fucking done professionally. I'm Serious spending my recreation business. time fucking elsewhere. You can go fuck yourself with your fucking power slammers. Fuck off. So uh <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, DDP, and you can tell he's a blue-collar, working-class hero in WCW because he wore jeans. Yeah. And if you wear jeans in wrestling, that means you're one of us. Yes. Yeah. Have you heard much about the NWO, the New World Order? I think we mentioned briefly in our Hogan episode. They popped up on the first WrestleMania I ever saw. Oh, yeah, they did, didn't they? Wandered in, those old men. <laughs> um, I know that they're evil, yeah. and Hulk Hogan was there. Yeah, they were the bad guy group in WCW. The thing about the NWO, though, is that it started off with like a small group of guys and then it became a massive group of guys. It started off with like three. By the end of the next year, it was like there was 35 guys in the NWO. Is this the Bullet Club? Pretty much. I mean, you think the Bullet Club is bad, it's got nothing on the NWO because at least people who join the Bullet Club tend to be cool. Where it was just like, hey, you do anything tonight? No. Do you want to join the NWO? Yeah, cool, yeah. At least did the NWO exist simultaneously across four different companies? No, across <laughs> two though, in fairness to it. But... DDP, like many, many, many others at the time, was people just expect, oh, he's a mid-card guy, he'll join NWO, like everyone does. And the NWO had been completely untouched by this moment in time. No one had like gotten near them, no one had gotten one up on them. It was really depressing to watch WCW because the bad guys just beat everyone up all the time and always won. Oh. The NWO just beat everyone up non-stop. And DDP... He made out like he was going to join the NWO and then he turns around and he gives the diamond cutter to Scott Hall and throws out Kevin Nash. And that's like, that's the moment where he's like the big star. And again, the reason that happened was because Scott Hall knew when he needed a, a boost back in the day, DDP was there to help him. Mm. And when DDP really needed a helping hand, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were the ones who were like, look, this guy, he's going to be a star let him get one over on us and he'll be a big baby face. And he became like one of the company's top guys as a result of that. Amazing. Which led us to our first match which we're talking about which is DDP taking on Macho Man Randy Savage in Spring Stampede 1997. So this was huge for DDP because the Macho Man was like a next tier star. He's like one of the all time greats. And he said he wanted to work with DDP. So DDP cites this as his favourite feud, his favourite match. 
This is the first time I think you've ever seen Randy Savage. It is, yeah. I've been looking forward to this final moment because he's such a weird character. <laughs> when he showed up on the screen, Joe's legitimate first reaction because Macho Man's walking backstage going, I'm going to get DDP. He just went, what is he? Well, he talks like Charles Manson. <laughs> Seriously, listen to Randy <laughs> Savage. Mad, incoherent rambling. Of course, the macho madness murders. Those people with Slim Jim stuffed in their mouths. It was horrible. Like I literally don't understand what Randy Savage is saying. Ninety-nine percent of the time, he's like an alternate reality Hulk Hogan who's a hell demon. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about Macho Man more like with you. That's going to be fucking incredible. <laughs> so this is like a false count anywhere match. So these guys were hitting each other with like weapons and knocking the shit out of each other right from the get-go. What was it like to finally see DDP wrestle? It was so strange. It's just it's so strange because like, he is... He's the guy I watch. He t- teaches me how to do yoga. He's the nice man that helped Jake the Snake Roberts and Mick Foley. And I know him as so many things, and none of them up until this point were wrestler. Yeah. So actually seeing him in that ring, it's, like... it's hard for me because like I I know DDP of is it's this guy in his sixties and he's lovely and he helps people and he's positive and here he is in a match with Macho Man Randy Savage who is pretty terrifying he's to look at. He's scary in this match. He's such a heel. Yeah, <laughs> DDP is this, you know this cool guy and he's nice and I love him and. It was scary. The whole thing with DDP as well that made it hard is the fact that his whole gimmick when he was a good guy was that he would get the shit knocked out of him. He's like, I'd take ten punches just so I can get one on you and all that. And he just gets the the shit knocked out of him so bad. I liked his selling, I must say. I watched, you know, this first time I watched a DDP match in a while and I really enjoyed his selling. That He could really bounce around for a tall guy. Yeah, his selling's absolutely amazing. He is so gifted at throwing himself around the ring. It's something that's really interesting, I think, is is the whole... When he came into wrestling, like I was saying earlier, he, he didn't come in with the athletic background. He didn't grow up in the industry. He didn't start it from a really young age. What he had, though, was natural performing abilities. Mm. Like, he understands how to work a crowd. He understands about personal branding. He understood... The aspects that I think a lot of other wrestlers find harder when they come from more athletic backgrounds. Just to connect with the crowd. The performing aspect. Almost like if you've gone to drama school and you learn how to throw a fake punch, he gets Mm. all of the performing side of wrestling so well. It kind of overcompensates like a lot. And I mean, it's something as well with DDP is that I don't think you'll ever say DDP is like an amazing technical wrestler or can go like toe to toe or, you know, with like a like a Daniel Bryan or an Owen Hart. He's not that type of wrestler. But he always had this incredible connection with the crowd. He had this amazing charisma. And another thing he did as well, which I always thought was really awesome, was that he was constantly trying to innovate and do new moves. Yeah. Because a lot of the guys in WCW were older dudes like Hogan and Savage who were doing just, you know, punches and fists and whatnot. DDP would try to do something a bit different always. That's honestly what I thought he was going to be like before I watched any of his wrestling. I think I said to you at the very beginning, I thought he was going to be shit. Yeah. I thought he'd be kind of like punch, kick, but could probably put on a good promo. And it's so much more than that. Like he he does the punches and the kicks, but he throws himself everywhere. He Mm. does these spectacular jumps. He really puts his all into it. And there's such a variety of moves. It's, It's so not stagnant. I love like how much he's like trying to put Randy Savage over basically. It makes yeah. Randy Savage look 
amazing this match. Oh, he looks fucking terrifying. This is well past Savage's prime, what we're watching here. And like when he's beating up the referees and the announcers, he starts whipping the ref with the belt. You literally start shaking your fist at the screen going, this is no good heel. Yeah, it's a no good heel. <laughs> when he was whipping the referee, the announcer went, my God, what have we become? <laughs> Darkest timeline wrestling like. Oh god, at one point sorry to talk about Macho Man, but like he's just so <laughs> strange to me as like a, a human. Yeah. But he took off his sunglasses at one point, like when he started wrestling. Yeah. And it was the most horrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. His scary eyes. It's exactly like if if anyone's seen American Gods and the, the genie takes off his glasses <laughs> and there's just fire. It's, it's like that. Like, when, it's not meant to be seen. Put the glasses back on. And then you have sex with Randy Savage, and then you become Randy <laughs> Savage. <laughs> Who's the last person with sex with Randy Savage? They're Randy Savage. Hunt them down. The Give real them question a is who is the first Randy Savage? <laughs> But he, he talks and walks and acts like an alien whose only knowledge of humanity is via pro wrestling. <laughs> it's so... He's a weird man. It was funny watching these matches because there's a lot of matches where I could have picked... I tried to pick ones that were reflective of DDP and important moments for DDP, but also reflective of WCW. And even in this match, which is, you know, DDP gushes about... And I'd actually had not ever seen this match before he reviewed it. He gushes about this match so much, but even this match isn't immune to all the wacky finishes that WCW always have to have. Because there's this big palaver about the referee gets knocked out, and then we bring out the evil referee, the NWO referee. It was basically Kenny Powers. It looks exactly like Kenny Literally Powers. Literally exactly like. In fact, I'm not convinced it's not Kenny Powers. <laughs> the reason it took him so long to get to the ring is because he kept doing all the guns, you know, <laughs> he's going down pointing at his dick. So he comes out and you think, oh, here comes the bad guy referee. And I'm literally, as I'm turning to Joe, going, well, you see, the NWO had their own referee who they uh, said they had to have because it was not fair for them not to have their own ref. And as I'm explaining this, DDP hits the diamond cutter and pins Macho Man Randy Savage. And the evil referee pins him. And everyone is like, oh, how did, why did the evil referee do this? And I'm like, turning to Joe, going, don't, doesn't fucking matter, never mind. <laughs> I tried WCW. I tried. They're really not making it easy, are they? No, wacky finish. But it was cool. It was obviously a huge... The way the crowd reacted, it was very much a case of, here's a shit-hot, up-and-coming baby face beating a bad guy heel. And, like, for someone like Macho Man Randy Savage, and WCW had this as a huge problem, the big stars all had creative control. Mm. Which meant, like, if Hogan thought, nah, I don't want to... I'm not losing to you, or I will lose to you, but I want it so first, you know, a bunch of guys run out and beat me up, or you win on a DQ. They would always do this to try and protect their, their fragile brand. Fragile egos. Yeah. You call it a, fra- a fragile ego, I call it a wrestling brand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, DDP always tells the story of how Randy Savage was like sitting backstage and kind of going, I think I'll take the diamond cutter tonight. Like, he's got to let him hit his finishing move on. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I get to hit my finishing move in the fake match where I'm actually going to win because it's predetermined by. But, like, there's a lot of politics and it was it was huge. It made him a top guy in the eyes of everyone. Even though uh, all this time people just thought, ah, he's just getting there because he's friends with, with so-and-so or whatnot. So unfair. There's so much of that in WCW. Like, Ric Flair, for instance, hated DDP's guts. 
because Ric Flair hated Eric Bischoff and assumed that he was his boy, therefore he hated him. I hate to say it, but like, I, obviously we've not done How to Ric Flair, but like, it, Ric Flair just hates all of my favourite people. It just seems to be a common theme where, oh, I really like this person. Oh, Ric Flair was a horrid bully to them. What a surprise. <laughs> well, he's always just a bully, but it's like he's just someone who always has a lot of mean. bad things to say. He had, he had horrible things to say about Mick Foley as well. It's a mean man. From a mathematics perspective, we can classify this as Graham's theorem, which is at any one given point, at any one point in history, Ric Flair probably hated one of your favourite wrestlers. Yeah, just the nice ones. So we had all that wackiness and craziness in that match, but I wanted to know what your star rating was for DDP versus the Macho Man. I'm going to give it four out of five stars. It was awesome. Mm. Awesome match. Was it cool to see DDP in the flesh? It was really cool. I thought this was probably the best match that we covered of his. Um, he was absolutely on fire. He gets beaten up like the best talented <laughs> to get beaten up person You've ever. developed a seriously a taste for selling. Like, if a wrestler can oh, sell well, you're, you're happy with them. That's my thing, yeah. It's the yeah. Uh, GCSE drama coming out in your like. Yeah. Know? If a wrestler can pretend to be a tree really well as well, Joe will also. Insulting, <laughs> I have an A-level in drama, actually. Oh, shit, I bet. I tip my yeah, cap, I tip bet. cap to me. <laughs> so, something awesome that DDP managed to do was to rope in Carl uh, Malone, who's a basketballsman, which is a big deal in America. But the fact that he was able to rope in Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman, and he did this big match with Hulk Hogan. It was a tag match where it was DDP and Carl Malone versus Dennis Rodman and Hulk Hogan. And you talk about a crossover appeal, it's like two of the biggest names in wrestling, two of the biggest names in basketball. They had the basketball player, Dennis Robin, join the NWO, so there was like an NWO guy in the NBA. It was really, really smart. The match itself was fucking dog shit, but it was really, really smart, like crossover appeal, and it got a lot of eyes. It was actually, I think, the highest grossing pay-per-view WCW ever did, so the most money they ever did was off the back of that, so. Wow. Fair fucks to them. So it was around about this time that DDP actually got his official diagnosis, I think, about yeah. being dyslexic and having ADD. I think it was Kimberly who realised, well, I don't know how, how it got to this point on where she was like, oh, you probably have dyslexia. Like, I know she's quite a bit younger than him, yeah. so maybe like she was a, a, a generation maybe where that was starting to be mm. more recognised. Oh yeah, I mean, all I'll say is I think Kimberly Page definitely seems to be the greatest wife and greatest ex-wife anyone could ever hope yeah, to have. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. So yeah, she started helping him out, basically. Like you said, he was he was reading like a certain number of pages a day or a week and they, they worked on it together and that's really nice. That's really, really cool, yeah. And he quoted Henry Ford again, if you say you can or you say you can't, you're right. Oh! Henry Ford has all the motivational lines. Yeah, seriously. He's a quotable man. Yeah, for a man who made cars, he's obviously got a lot in, in the philosophy department as yeah. well. So DDP kind of set himself a goal around this time. Yeah, he was like on the phone to, was it Dusty Rhodes? Mm, yeah. I think it was. And he was like saying, oh, you know, Dusty, I know I'll never be world champion, but you know. And Dusty like yelled at him, which is like apparently thing he never did. Dusty <laughs> never raised his voice and he was like, DDP, what the fuck are you in this for then? That's my Dusty Rhodes impression. It's very good. You didn't even do a lisp. I don't want to insult his lisp. <laughs> I don't want to. Seriously, you are the first person in the history of wrestling who has quoted Dusty Rhodes and not done it in a Dusty Rhodes lisp voice. Honestly, it's just, I would sound rubbish doing it. <laughs> I would just sound mean. So I'll just put on my Hulk Hogan voice and Let me tell you something, bro. What the fuck are you in it for then? Said Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so DDP he was like oh yeah okay right if Dusty believes in me 
I can believe in me. Hey, now that's going to come up later, isn't it? Mm. And he wrote on a notepad, I will be the world champion in five years. That's a dead... He already had like a deadline over his head, yeah. basically. Yeah. Because I think like wrestling, it's like Logan's run. Once you hit the age of 40, like a red dot appears in your hands and people come to take you away unless you're like a real top guy. So he figured, yeah, if you're yeah. going to do it, you have to do it in that time. And again, it's part of this whole deliberate practice. You've got to have a goal. You can't achieve what you want to achieve unless you know what it is you want to achieve. Mm. He had his smart goal. He set himself a, a deadline for that. And do you know who else has done this exact same tactic? Who? Johnny Gargano. Really? Yeah, he did a really... It was absolutely so heartwarming. He did a post on Twitter the other day that he, he referenced back to one three years prior saying, today I've set myself a goal for three years time, I will achieve certain things. Check back on me on this day, three years from now, and we'll see how far I've come. And his goal was to get married to his beautiful wife, Candice LeRae. It was to join NXT and to win the tag team titles. And he achieved all three within those three years. Because he set himself that goal and he gave himself a deadline. And that's awesome. That's awesome. That's so cool. That's how you achieve things. It's so amazing as well to think that DDP, I mean, the reason why he would think you know, initially, oh, you're not going to be world champions because you look at WCW, particularly our next match, just the, the caliber of people that were there. WCW had pretty much an unlimited checkbook. Eric Bischoff was known as ATM Eric a lot of the time because he would just go, look, come over here from WWF. Here's guaranteed money, million dollars, half the dates with WWF. So you had like all these top guys and all these top guys who all expected to be you know, world champions. You had Goldberg, you had Sting, you had Hogan, you had Ric Flair, you had Kevin Nash, you had Booker T, you had Scott Steiner. You know, these are all big, big names. It was a very crowded scene. You had Bret Hart in there as well. You know, it's just ridiculous amounts of people. And DDP, when you look at all those other people, him becoming a world champion, you can almost see why you, even a positive person would go, well, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, it's kind of rigged against you in that sense. So the fact that he was able to become a world champion and actually a three-time world champion by the end of it, that's fucking phenomenal because there were so many big fish in WCW that he had to swim against a very strong current. And the match where he won the belt is what we're going to look at next. It's so weird. They just the, <laughs> You could have told me that this match was going to happen like two weeks ago and I would not have believed you. Like, just <laughs> Universe no. mode match. Like, Making you know. it up. Just, yeah, random. Oh, I've decided that DDP's going to wrestle Ric Flair, Sting, and Hulk Hogan. It's pretty much like the Elite Four of wrestling. <laughs> so <you> think- Seriously. <laughs> and then, spoilers, he wins. <laughs> like, who saw that coming? It's amazing. Yeah. It's really, really awesome. And I mean, I think everyone in this match, you can... You can't say otherwise. I mean, everyone in this match is a bigger star than DDP. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, Hall of Fame standard. I mean, DDP's obviously in the Hall of Fame now as well. But, like, they're huge. Yeah. They're established top-tier guys. They're all guys who non-wrestling fans know of. And even as well, like, to the point where the special guest referee in this is Macho Man Randy Savage. (laughs) Even the ref is a bigger star than (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, um, Hulk Hogan coming out here. He's part of the NWO, but no, not the one that you're thinking of. It's a different NWO, but we'll get into that in another confusing episode. What? Yeah, there's more than one NWO. Oh, for fuck's sake. I just thought, like, you know the way like, I'm kind of showing you little bits of Shawn Michaels and you know stuff yeah. you're kind of sprinkling? And I want to sprinkle some horrible WCW weed seeds. So it's like, oh, God, that's going to be horrible to talk about. So what, was he a member of the New World Order or something? He was, but a different type of New World the Order. conspiracy theory New World Order. <laughs> 
Fun fact, Ric Flair fucking hated Diamond Dallas Page, and this moment in time particularly so. Flair in his book said that Diamond Dallas Page winning the world title was the greatest insult in the history of wrestling. I mean, I couldn't... I, 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 ugh, I don't like the Ric Flair hates DDP, but I do kind of see why he thinks that. They're panels now. That's good. But there was a lot of shit going on with Flair and WCW, but it's I mean, a toxic it, environment. It's weird. It mm. is weird that he's even in the same ring as those people. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it is strange, but I love it. And you as well talking about like only really like two years probably after he kind of yeah. you know hits a kind of a, a big moment or anything like that. So they pair off into their respective corners and all start beating each other up. It is kind of a bit of a muddled mess here and the crowd seem a little bit confused as the match is going on. Hulk Hogan leaves the match after like five minutes. I was convinced that was going to be a swerve because I just, I can't see Hulk Hogan limp out of a match and not think that he's going to somehow turn around and make himself look awesome. Yeah, he limps out and Eric Bischoff's like, what's going on? He goes, it's hurt. And you don't see him That's again. That's it, he's gone. <laughs> okay. I love that when Hogan goes at DDP, he's like smart. He sits back, he leans on the it's ropes. It's so cool. I love how DDP leans on the ropes. It's mm-hmm. a cool, cool thing. It's something that like Jake used to do as well, similarly. But yeah, DDP just sits back and he does like me and Joe did in a recent episode and he watches Sting and Ric Flair beat the shit out of each yeah. other. It's really, really cool. He seems just so at home there. Yeah. Like, just watching these massive stars wrestle. It's his little nook. Yeah. He's in his nook, and he's, he's confidently there. He tombstones Sting. Fucking incredible. I'll tell you as well, if you want to figure out a way how to fix ten chance if they're annoying you like they've been annoying me, just get Macho Man Randy Savage to Yes, seriously. They'll drag that shit right out. <laughs> he, oh, no, sorry. With the count to ten, yeah. he's really quick. With the count to three... It's slow as shit. Because usually when wrestlers go down, right, you do a count to ten. Yeah. And if you don't answer the count of ten, you're technically, uh, it's a technical knockout. Yeah, even though I've never seen that. It never happens. Yeah. Except like a last man standing match, which is kind of the rules of the match. But usually you go, one, two, you get the drama. It's like, Mm. oh, and they kind of barely get up. Not Randy Savage, he's in a hurry. One, two, three. Let's get this over with, come on. I want to show you how fast I can count to the number ten, yeah. (laughs) It's real fast. He's such a rubbish ref. One, two, three. What bad choice. He counts the thing too quickly, the other thing too slowly. He's not dressed right as a ref. He he doesn't do the the, the pin when he, you know when you go one, two, three, you have to hit the mat. He kind of goes little little tap. He does, and he does it slowly. It's like one, tiniest tap in the world. Two, tiniest tap in the world. He does so many of these 10 count spots, which Ugh. is really funny. There's like four of them, but every time DDP, he, he's the only one. Sting and Flair just stay down. They don't give a shit. They're yeah. like, fuck it. <laughs> he's doing it wrong. It's fine. But DDP still, every time when it gets to nine, he's like, oh, you'll get himself yeah. up ropes, even though he has to do it so quickly. Yeah. It makes no sense. It's like, Poor guy must be exhausted. <laughs> You get an awesome comeback as Sting starts beating the shit out of Flair and DDP. Macho Man interferes because, of course, it is WCW. Diamond Cutter by DDP. A bit of a muddled, weird finish, but he wins the World Championship. It's not the greatest match. It's kind of a confusing, muddled end. I want to know, who's the heels and who are the faces in this match? Because I don't know. Flair's the heel because he's meant to be the president of WCW and power has gone to his head. Hogan is technically a heel, but he's part of a heel group that are kind of cool guys. Uh, no one's, The only one who's really a heel is Flair. 
everyone else you can argue is a good guy. Okay. It's it's but it's not well defined. No. I guess you don't have to define it when you've just got all the biggest stars. That's kind of a WCW thing. It's like yeah. story doesn't need to make sense because look, you got fucking like someone would look at that and go, Holy shit. Yeah, I've got to watch it. Yeah. They're not gonna think about actually will this be What's a the good angle, match, yeah. you know? <laughs> So DDP does win, and yeah, I didn't enjoy this match. Watching this, it was like, this is why I didn't watch WCW as a kid. What did you think of it, though? Yeah, I gave it three stars then. Because, ah. yeah, I mean, it's cool seeing all the star power. It's awesome seeing DDP yeah. up against all of them. I'd say this match is worth watching just to see his cool lean in the corner. <laughs> he does that all the time, though. So. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh, well, then don't, <laughs> don't bother. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a confusing match, and I kept, I don't like... Um, Randy Savage is the ref he was rubbish and I kept thinking he was going to hit people and then he did so I mean I guess I was proven right yeah there's a problem watching WCW stuff is that you're always kind of you don't take it at face value it's always going to be a swerve DDP had a good little run for himself he was someone who found himself on top of the company because a lot of the bigger stars were, were leaving or were injured or their contracts were tied up WCW was an absolute, complete clusterfuck at the time. It was a total nightmare. It was really badly unorganised. People were allowed to do whatever they want. And we talked previously about in our Scott Steiner episode about how Steiner was kind of a little bit out of control at the time. Mm. Yeah, well, something happened with Scott Steiner and DDP literally right before WCW ended. I think what happened was Kimberly had found in a locker room, she had found drugs and she thought they belonged to someone and she told the staff that hey there's drugs here and the management went and they tested people and they couldn't find out who it was for whatever reason scott steiner took complete exception to this Mm. and quote chased kimberly out of the arena oh my god to which ddp was obviously not very very happy about particularly when the next time they had tv scott steiner decided to come out and instead of doing his regular promo just talk about how much of a pussy ddp was and how he had no balls and now he should have sex change operation because he's not a real man like me and how no one like you being champion because you boring and no one likes wcw because wcw sucks thanks a lot for that scott the world champion there so, DDP, as soon as that promo had ended, Scott Steiner, the big bully, comes backstage. And DDP's like, bro, fuck you. And they just start beating each other up. What? Like, yeah. He had to defend the honor of his wife. So, he starts beating up Scott Steiner. And apparently, Ste- Steiner tried to rip his eye out. And they had to be pulled apart. Steiner was apparently going to kill him. And DDP kept trying to go back and fight. And everyone was pulling him back. And like Kevin Nash was like, look. Stop trying to fight. You're 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 going to be in the wrong here now because you've you've actually started the fight and you need to stop this. Yeah. Like, everyone's going to think I'm a everyone's going to think I'm a pussy, bro. Everyone's going to think that I'm a loser if I don't stand up to him. They're like, look, you've already stood up to him. People are going to think you're a god, like because you've stood up to Scott Steiner, who at the peak of his, yeah, you know, terrifying. Yeah, seriously. Final evolution Pokemon stage thing. That's like Steiner be walking around with a tiger now and then. Yeah. <laughs> you <obviously laughs> the time. So I just like. I mean, it's never cool like when wrestlers come to real life blows and it was a shitty situation, but it's just like, man, there he goes, like literally jumping into the lion's den or tiger's den, Scott Steiner den, whatever, man. That's fucking awesome, I think, you know. It sucks that there was any kind of negative, like, come out from what Kimberly did as well. Like, Mm -hmm. they're literally trying to make the wrestling industry a healthier, safer place. 
shows you how bad WCW was because literally no one could turn to Scott Steiner and say, look, you need to, you know, you can't do this shit. He, he could do what he wanted to. The manager were kind of scared of him at the point. But this is when WCW was literally falling apart at the seams. Yeah. And Vince McMahon bought WCW in 2001, which kind of signaled the end of the Attitude Era. And the end of WCW was quite grim. And one of the sad things about it was that so many of the big names that we talked about, like Sting and Hogan and Flair and Macho Man and Goldberg, because WCW was was purchased by Time Warner, which is a big corporation, they had guaranteed money, guaranteed contracts. And that guarantee extended to if and when WCW was no longer in business. So most of the top stars, all those big world champion guys, Mm. they had around a million or two million dollars to sit at home and do nothing from between a year to two years after WCW went out of business. Wow. It's pretty fucking sweet if you can get it. Yeah. One of those people was Diamond Dallas Page. And Diamond Dallas Page decided instead of sitting at home and making that guaranteed money, he had to go to WWF straight away. He turned down, it was around about like a million, a million and a half to get $300,000 instead to go to WWF. Oh. That's a pay cut right there. Yeah, but that's a work ethic too. There's so many ways to look at it. Because I remember, again, as a kid, reading in books and stuff, the story was that DDP, apparently, after WCW had been bought out, he met Vince McMahon in an airport and apparently hugged him really tight and close. And Vince was all weirded out. And DDP went, finally, we're together. And that, straight away, once that rumour got out, it's like, the fuck is this weirdo? Like, what's he doing? The reality of it, though, is that DDP wasn't doing it because he was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with, you know, becoming a WWF star. Again, he knew he had, like, maybe a year. Yeah, like, that's the thing. He's 41 at this got, point. Yeah, why would you want to sit around doing nothing when you know that's that's how long you've got? Because that would be the end. Of, if he sat at home and took that money, yeah, that, would that would be, be it. the end. He'd yeah. be done. And, like, he could have been sitting around doing nothing before like he could have been doing that this whole time he mm. could have been you know doing his nightclub industry he could have done really fucking well made loads of money and probably retired at 30 yeah. like let's be honest it was doing well and he chose not to do that he chose to work hard because he loves wrestling and when you love wrestling why would you want to sit at home doing nothing it's kind of it's it's a sad set of affairs because I'm pretty sure if he could look into the future and saw what awaited him he would have stayed at home and taken that money and you know healed up and stepped away from it all because what he ended up getting was was one of the worst runs in WWE history. What's kind of sad about it is that we'll see what a lot of times when guys came over from WCW that after WWF had spent around five years nearly being put out of business by them and fighting with them tooth and nail, they weren't exactly eager to be like, hey, and now it's the guys who we hated. Way! They wanted to bring in a lot of WCW guys to do like a, an invasion. Like WCW is going to come and get WWE because they own it now so they can use the intellectual properties. And DDP was like one of the only big stars they had. Everyone else was like a lower tier guy who they could buy their contract for nothing. DDP wanted to do the angle where he always had the moniker of being the people's champion in WCW. And in WWF and WWE, the people's champion was The Rock. Right. So DDP wanted to do, he had this whole thing laid out. He wanted to do this thing where the lights all go out because The Rock has been gone filming a movie for ages. And you think, oh, is The Rock coming back? And all of a sudden you hear, who's the real people's champion? And it's DDP. And he's like, you know, him and The Rock have this big feud. They didn't like that angle of WWE. I'm guessing they didn't think he was a big enough star. Well, they apparently were very adamant that Diamond Dallas Page should be a stalker instead. For fuck's sake. 
WWE. I mean, when you saw DDP and all the stuff that led up to this point, is there anything about him that would lead you to believe, yeah, I can conceivably see this guy stalking another man's wife? No, never. And especially considering, like, I know we didn't mention this earlier, but in the documentary we watched, the way he met Kimberly, his wife, was she was underage and she came into his nightclub and he pulled her out and he said, Oi, you're underage. Don't don't be doing this. You're underage. And then she was like, well, I'm going to be 21, like, literally tomorrow. So there you go. <laughs> so he's got principles. He's not a creepy weirdo who takes advantage of people and women. Also, further to that point, he was married to Kimberly Page, who seems to be the most beautiful, intelligent... Yeah. Bri- Why would you say... He says that. He's like... <laughs> You know, all, all respect to the Undertaker's wife. She's a beautiful woman. Oh, you see my but, old lady. But have you seen my wife? Like, why would I? So they would play. It was like six weeks. I remember as a kid being obsessed. Because like, the Undertaker was he was the American badass at the time. You know, no one got to him. He was the cool big dog. It was his yard. Not Roman Reigns. Different to that. It was his yard. <laughs> and these videos started playing of like, This is the Undertaker's wife, Sarah. Combing her beautiful blonde hair. Oh, Sarah, if you only knew. And he would go on, like, Sarah, I want you to be mine. Or like, Undertaker, you have kept her from me. She should be mine. It was this weird... went on and on. I remember me and my mates at the time, we were convinced it was going to be Paul Bearer. Because Paul Bearer hadn't been seen in ages. It was like, of course, Paul Bearer, like this creep, reinserting himself into the Undertaker's life after all. And it wasn't. It made no sense who it was. Because out comes DDP on Raw then. He's like, it's me, DDP. I've been stalking the Undertaker's wife. And I've been doing it because I want to be famous. Makes absolutely no sense. And it's so humiliating for him. It's so bad. He talks about it in this documentary and he says how... He, because I know we mentioned in uh, in Roddy Piper, we we wondered how much he regretted some of the more questionable yeah, things yeah. that he was involved with. DDP hated this from the get go. He thought yeah. it was creepy and weird and unnecessary. It is everything about it was wrong. Yeah, it's totally wrong. Like he he was healed for a few you know here and there in WCW. Uh, the whole part of his character, everything about DDP that you see up to this point, it was like no nothing. Yeah, it's like Vince McMahon had, didn't know anything about DDP. Not yeah. only DDP, but also Stork. Yeah. Like, do you not understand the whole thing about about stalking? Like, it just is goes against DDP's very nature. But the logic of the stalking, though, they use the logic. And what I was the logic? Because they didn't explain that. I always thought it was meant to be like a, a rib, like a joke on DDP, like making fun of him. The this, the angle of it was was that the Undertaker has never shown weakness in his whole career. But now that his wife has been stalked, for the first time in history, I, Diamond Dallas Page, have made The Undertaker scared. And, like, he's scared for his well-being. So, the only reason he stalked The Undertaker's wife is because he wanted to get The Undertaker. Which is, as we all know, is is why stalking ever happens. The only reason men stalk people, isn't it, is, is so that they can just find the weakness in other men. <laughs> so, what he said, though, because The Undertaker, his catchphrase at the time was, I'm the big dog. And that's my yard. And if you try me, I'll make you famous. Being that he would beat you up so much, like throwing mankind off the yeah. hell in a cell, that you would become famous. Right. So DDP was like, Undertaker, I'm begging you, make me famous. And, and like, he would show up with a giant sign with an arrow saying, make me famous. But like, what I've said is that has nothing to do with stalking. <laughs> they literally could have done that angle of make me famous, beat me up and make me famous. Yeah, Fine, yeah. do it. The weird thing about it as well was that 
at the start, it was like, yeah, I was only stalking you to get in your head. But literally two months later, he's got a fucking sex shrine to her of all the pictures of her. And he's licking, literally licking the photographs. And like, I'm upset. Like, I'm actually really a a creep. So I was like, oh, I'm not a creep. I'm just doing this to get to you. First of all, he is a creep, right? Then he's, no, he's not a creep because he's doing it to to expose the undertaker's flaws or weakness or whatever. And then, no, he is a creep. He is a creep. So the worst thing about this is that when DDP finally confronted The Undertaker, like, he did all this, and it's like, it's, The Undertaker's incensed. DDP, like, shows up the pay-per-view, and he's like, yo, Undertaker, make me famous. Undertaker came out and just bet him up for ten minutes. Just beat the shit out of him. DDP didn't get a single move in on offense, and DDP ran away. And then... <laughs> You like this though? Hashtag feminism moment coming up here, all right? Mm-hmm. This is a serious empowerment moment right here. They had Sarah and Undertaker. They started stalking DDP back and playing it on the screen. So DDP would be like sitting reading his newspaper and catering, like picking his nose, and they'd show it on the timer and go, ha ha ha, look at him. He's like, hey, you can't stalk me, I'm DDP. Uh. So hashtag not all stalkers. Highlights of this feud include. Sarah, the Undertaker's wife, not a trained wrestler, giving the Tombstone pile driver and beating DDP in a wrestling match. Yeah, I saw the pile driver. It looked pretty good. Yeah. It's like for not a professional wrestler. Yeah, that's it's pretty true. good. What was the match like? It's literally, that was it. He's oh. got beaten up and he lost. He didn't get a single bit of offense in Undertaker this whole feud. Taker just bit him up. So bad for DDP in this. And you know what's bad about it as well is apparently, you know why this all happened? Just because Vince is just a strange, troubled man. Well, because DDP, you know, we talked before about him wanting to plan everything and to be all super meticulous about that. Are you serious? That's why. Well, all the WCW guys who are coming in, this is, you know, to a locker room that had been. Eat, living and breathing, hating WCW yeah. for five or Basically so years. Basically just lots of Kevins. <laughs> and all of a sudden in comes DDP with The Undertaker. And Undertaker likes to just do his match kind of on the fly. A couple of big moments and that's it. And apparently DDP really pissed off The Undertaker. Really? Who was the locker room leader at the time. And apparently Undertaker, after his few bits with DDP, turned around to Vince and said, he doesn't know how to work the WWF style. He won't be able to be a star really. So... They pretty much just gave up on him. That's rubbish. It is, it is rubbish. And it was really shit how it all went down. Like, everything about his run at the start was just, like, miserable. I always remember he finally had his big debut match, you know, and he hits the diamond cutter. Like, that's his whole gimmick. Hits the diamond cutter. What does Michael Cole do? Swing neckbreaker there by Diamond Dallas Page. Doesn't even know the name of the move, like. For fuck's sake. Oh, and fun fact... You know all the stalker videos where it's like, Undertaker, I've been beating off to your wife and now I'm going to do it some more. All the stalker videos. Mm. Some guy a few years ago on YouTube, he did some reverse sound engineering on it and put up a video. But it's not even him. It's not him. I knew it wasn't him. Guess who it was. God, guess who, guess who relished the chance to record all the videos talking about stalking someone and being tired of your gamesmanship and keeping her from me. I like your wife. I'm going to have her. I mean, Vince McMahon. Yes. Are you fucking serious? 
you serious? I was joking. It was. I never thought, oh my the God, of course it is. He, rel- but he relished it. It's the only reason he hired DDP, so he gets to do a stupid voice. He's always I, wanted to play a stalker. I like to think they had those in the can already. Like, he'd, he'd done the videos previously. He's oh, like, yeah. oh, we'll figure it out. We'll fit it in somewhere. And literally, the video was up, and it's been taken down for years now. I'd always have to see it again. But it's like, oh, this is the Undertaker's wife, Sarah. Oh my God, I had to hear her that. beautiful blonde hair. Yeah, I'm tired of your gamesmanship, dead man. It's fucked up. Also, why has Vince got the time to be... Rec- Literally anyone. They were going to distort his voice anyway. They could have had anyone. They could have had any jobber, anyone off the street yeah. do that. Why has he got so much time to be doing shit like that? It's Vince, horrible. get back to work. Because he got the shit knocked out of him and then he got injured quite quickly and he was gone for a couple of, you know, for, for a good few months. And... It's really sad because, I mean, that stalker thing really did irreparable damage to him. And this is as well. Yeah, because he looks, he's a, right, he's a weird looking guy. And yeah. you can't have a stalker branded on you the when you look a bit like wrestling, that. Yeah. And he's a bit intense and he is a bit weird. And like the fact that already people were like, that DDP is a bit funny. Well, you can imagine me as a kid. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, oh, here comes DDP. And now he's on top of everything. He's weird. He's annoying. Oh, there's also he's a pervert. Yeah. And he's shit at wrestling. And he just gets a shit beaten up out of him all the time. So what did you think of him at this point then? I thought he was a total joke. Really? An absolute total joke. Were you kind of happy to see him just get completely destroyed? It was one of the first times I really remember la- like laughing so much about something I thought was so bad in wrestling. Because like, I would have thought you hating WCW guys so much that it would almost have been satisfying to no, see him come I'll, in and then just buried. I'll be honest, Joe, it was to the level of comedy. It's one of the ways that me and Adam actually originally bonded is because Adam had also seen terrible DDP. Oh. So me and him used to always just be going like, I'm begging you, make me famous! <laughs> it's like this shit angle with this shit wrestler and you know what I did some research and I've watched a lot of shoot interviews with DDP and you know what classic DDP he found a positive way to look at all this even though he hated it he said that he appreciated all of this because it prepared him down the line about how to negotiate because he went in he was just so happy and so pleased to be in WWF and so eager to please Vince McMahon that he was like I'll do it even though he knew it was wrong even though he knew he wanted to do something else he did it and he paid the price. And down the line when he was doing DDP yoga, when it first started off, Warner Bros actually wanted to buy it off him, lock stock, the whole thing. Wow. And he said it was actually the experience of those negotiations with WDF that led him to go, no, go with your gut, do what you know is right. Don't just do this because you're... Because it's really easy when you're like... I'll tell you, like the first time, like I think after the second episode of the ATR podcast... Some random podcast network approaches like, hey guys, you want to be like on our website and put all of our stuff on, on your podcast and brand it as our thing? I'm like, yes, of course. And then like a moment or two after the whole, I'm so pleased and so flattered, flattered yeah. you kind of, the brain kicks in. So I was like, that's awesome that he was able to yeah, take, take a bad back. thing yeah. into a good thing. <laughs> and that's where his next gimmick came from. Which I think is one of the most hilarious, brilliant things ever. And the one bright spot of his run in WWE, which is the positively page gimmick. Because after he'd been killed by Undertaker, beaten bloody ten ways since Sunday, he finally re-emerges on TV. And the first thing you see is that weird DDP smile like that. creepy. And he's going, it's me, DDP. The last time you saw me... I was being killed by The Undertaker. But that's not a bad thing. 
that's a good thing. And his whole thing was just, he was this weirdo who was always smiling and creepy. And we watched some of the segments of him doing yoga and all that. I love that it's based kind of on reality though. Like he, I think we've said this before in multiple times, the best wrestling gimmicks are always the ones which are closest to reality. Mm. He took that part of himself, which loved yoga and which was very positive and a little <laughs> bit intense. Yeah. And made it a fantastic gimmick. The video we watched is like the best segment ever. It's the one with the lady. With Jessica. Where she, Jessica, she's clearly reading off the lines of how you know, DDP yoga's changed her life or whatever. And then little DDP, she bends over and little DDP head comes and goes, It's me! DDP! <laughs> Which is so... And he would say, you know, I like you. You like you. I like me, you like me. <laughs> do you, do you? Oh, the comedy. editing on oh. that segment is is the funniest editing. It's like Tim and Eric levels of good. It's just the way it like crops him into that little circle, yeah. like cartoon style. And it was oh. great. They put it into his entrance music so when he came out. Yes. And go, Yo, it's me, it's me, it's D D P, and a little little smiling <laughs> face. And a, I love that. Again, it was something which. Part of it is kind of like, it is a bit of a rib on him because he's so positive. It's like, yeah. here's a character about making fun of positivity. And there's so many wrestlers, particularly older wrestlers, who'd be like, turn their nose up at that. And he fucking put everything into it. Everything he always did, he always put everything into it. And I think the one nice moment he had in his WF run off the back of that was the fact that he finally got to wrestle at a WrestleMania. All those years, it's what, 12 years after, in the same building. WrestleMania 6, he drove down to the Sky Dome in a car just to get a break. And here he is defending the European Championship against Christian. What a weird thing to see. Yeah. So this is an awesome match to watch. And I was really excited to see this because Christian around this time was like my favourite wrestler in the world at the time. So I was super excited to see you see Christian and his weird opera entrance and everything. DDP, even at like age 42, and this is after him having severe further problems with his neck and his knees, he's still busting out new moves. He's doing weird like tilt-a-whirl, gut busters, spinning power bombs. Yeah. That's awesome. It's all that yoga. How, is there anyone else who's, when they got older, started doing more moves? It's, I don't know. You tell me. It's always interesting. You get older, you start doing less and less and yeah. less. He's doing more and more and more. It's, it's so like cool. yoga. It's honestly, it's, it's it. The whole story of this is that Christian was like a crybaby and like a, always through temper tantrums. And DDP basically mentored him to be positive and to smile. And what I loved about it is that because Christian was a creepy heel, that anytime DDP was like, "Look, just smile, Christian. It'll help a lot." And he would smile. He looked really scary. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> look at Mr. Burns smiles in the Simpsons. His mouth is all scary. That's what Christian looked like. <laughs> so the story of the match is that DDP keeps going for the diamond cutter, and Christian keeps getting stressed and keeps doing guided breathing to, uh, you know, calm himself right back down. I really enjoyed this just for the, you know, seeing DDP connecting with the fans in that big, big stage in that massive arena. He hits the diamond cutter out of nowhere. He wins. He leaves through the crowd, which I love, back through the people, just like he did in WCW. And I love as well that he goes, you know, Christian, even though you lost in front of 80,000 people, <laughs> And bazillions watching at home. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because he kept you cool. And Christian threw a proper temper tantrum. It was amazing. You've got core strength there throwing mm. a temper tantrum like that. You think a temper tantrum means an easy workout? <laughs> I ain't kidding. What do you think of that one? Because I mean, that's like a, it's only a tiny, short little match. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I gave it three stars out of five. It was a fun little match. It's very short, 
But I wouldn't say it was anything like massively special. It's the only match from his WWE run that is on the whole three disc set. Wow. I was looking at all of his like match listings and so I think there has to be more like WWE matches that he had that were great. And it's all like him being killed by The Undertaker mm-hmm. and then a bunch of matches where he got killed by Kane and then Kane and The Undertaker. <laughs> then he just comes back and had just matches with lower level guys. Yeah. So it is kind of sad that he had such a shitty run and he left WWE and he had to retire because of injury. And he was, you know, it was a hard decision to make. He basically retired pretty much at the lowest point of his career in, in many respects mm. because he had a really shitty WWE run. Yeah. And he popped up in TNA here and there, but and then, like, the only thing you heard was that he divorced from Kimberly and it's like, I was a king. I'm like, ha ha, he's shit and he's left WWF and now he's divorced from his wife. He's crap. Oh, no. And then he started developing YRG, it was known at the time, which is yoga for regular guys. Huh, it ain't your mama's yoga. I thought this was so interesting, hearing all about how DDP yoga came to exist. Everyone was so sceptical of it at the start. Including DDP himself. Yeah. So he was saying that, like, you know, obviously back when he started doing yoga was a time when men did not do yoga. And I say this now in 2017, where the other day I mentioned to a couple of work colleagues that I do yoga, and some of the male colleagues were like, yoga, don't want to do that. That's for women, isn't it? And a progressive place I I live and work at. It's surprising. So still there's this attitude of like, oh, yoga's for for women and somehow shit. And so he he started doing it because Kimberly said, look, it's good for your body. It's good for your joints, keeps you flexible. And so he thought, well, fine, I'll, I'll start doing yoga then, I guess. And managed to adapt it for his own style. Because he, what he had done was he had, because he had injured his, he had to have a, an exfusion basically. And because of that, because of his knee, he had all these like physio things that he had to do. And he couldn't do weights, and he couldn't do treadmills because of the stuff that would happen on his joints. And he just did regular yoga, but he felt that it didn't work for him. So he just basically like put together his physio with the yoga and some other bits and dynamic resistance. There you go. You've yeah. got DDP yoga. I'm not being paid by DDP, all right? I'm not, I'm not. I'm telling you that it has made, just, it has made my life better. Mm. And you can look at some of the transformations it's made for wrestlers and see the amazing, life-changing stuff it's done, mm-hmm. not just for the people who struggled with addiction like Jake and Scott Hall, but people who just were like, shit, I'm really sore, like Mick Foley. Like AJ Styles. AJ Styles. Who you think, he's, I mean, he's peak of his yeah. career, and he's using DDP yoga. Chris Jericho Chris as well. Chris Jericho, right, when one. he jumped off that giant cell. And if you look at, like, all of that, and you look as well, you know, someone like, uh, you know, Arthur. Yes, Arthur. Oh, my God. not seen that video, because it's Watch so funny. Watch Arthur's story. That was mm. so weird for me, because, like, we were doing DDP yoga for a couple of months, I didn't really know anything about it. I was just doing it because Kevin had put it on. I knew the guy was a wrestler. And one of the guys in the background is this, this tiny little cute man called Arthur, who DDP references sometimes. He's like, Arthur's doing it really well in the background. It's amazing how far he's coming in 18 months. And I hadn't seen Arthur's story. And I watched that after doing DDP for a while. And it blew my mind that that was the same man. Because when we were watching it, I was like, I think it maybe took like... I was literally I didn't know it was him until they showed him he starts losing all the weight and he's off the crutches he starts running and I didn't realise the guy who had been in my yoga videos all this time who I'd literally been learning yoga from had was this disabled massively overweight you know he was in such pain all the time with crutches and he could barely walk and he's doing like super advanced yoga moves he's so flexible now it's like that's amazing just from DDP I mean 
in this grand scheme of things, when you look at stuff like that, the fact that like I can sit cross-legged on a couch now. It's about quality of life, isn't it, really? <laughs> but I mean, it seems like a small thing. But I mean, I used to have, you know, I used to have frequent back and neck pain. Yeah. And I was something I've, I've never done proper exercise in my life ever. No. I was a stereotypical, like as a teenager and young adult, I was pretty much, uh, once a year, I would get terrified and run around a bit <laughs> and like join a gym and then like stop after a month. Yeah, Actually doing exercise is one of those things that when you get to your mid to late 20s, you're like, okay, this is one of these things where it's not like quirky that I don't do it. It's actually starting that I can feel my body yeah. getting worse. So it's really helped me massively as a tall dude who you know struggles with posture and stuff. It really has helped me greatly. Absolutely, same, one hundred percent. Because like I mentioned with the shred, like my exercise habits have always been quite extreme. Like yeah. one or the other. I'm either working way too hard and not doing it properly, or I'm doing nothing. And been really interesting doing DDP yoga because it is it's a fantastic middle ground in terms of you're not going to wear yourself out. I have knee problems and so some exercise is quite painful for me mm. and I found DDP yoga is so helpful for that. And then like your balance and stuff as well and It's funny because uh, I stop I've you know I've lapsed on it a few times. But like the reason I had lapsed on it before we moved here was because the house that we lived in in oh, Lincolnshire. The yeah, it was a Joe sized house, not a Kevin sized house. Yeah. I was like Gandalf in there just walking around going, just to you, thank you, and hitting my head off everything. Yeah. And I literally was like, I remember one day when I was like, okay, time to do some DDP yoga. Spread your fingers wide. Lean it back. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Arms out to a T. Nope. <laughs> no space. So, yeah, I mean, I have noticed again, you know, doing it more regularly. It's awesome. I mean, I think for a lot of people, and this is definitely, I was in this category, you get self-conscious about wanting to go into a gym. Yeah. You get self-conscious about running around. You get self-conscious about being other people's business that you're doing exercise. Like, I honestly, one of the things I hated about exercise, I remember once when I joined a gym, my brother literally berated me for hours about, like, what are you doing enjoying the gym? Like, sake. you know, eat beer with me instead. <laughs> like, you know, eat, eat this solid beer with me instead. So, I mean, all of that being said, if, like, one of the best things about DDP yoga is that it's a friendly wrestling face that you recognize who's good at motivating you. If you put all the other exercise part aside, that's one of the best things about it. What I like about it is that it's it's easy enough to do every day. There are different workouts depending on like how long you want to spend exercising or if you want to focus on different body parts or like energy instead of like your core or your balance. It's really great being able to come home after work and know that I can do a workout for 20 minutes that's not going to like wreck me yeah. for two days. Yeah. Because when we first started doing it, it did wreck us for two days. But not in but like uh, you c literally can't move the next day. It's yeah. kind of like, oh, my muscles are sore. They're are you shaking. shaking? Cool. cool. That means you're turning muscles on. Have you gotten to the point now? Yes. Yeah? All right, tell us about the point. Where it happens the point where you start anything you hear can be turned into a motivational DDP phrase from his workout videos. It's great. It's fantastic. The other day I decided to, um, as of some exercise, I was going to walk down my flight of stairs at work, uh, 24 floors. We normally get the lift and I thought, you know what, I'm going to get some exercise in, I'm going to take the stairs. So I took the stairs and about halfway through my legs started shaking. I was like, shit, I don't know if I can make it all the way down. And then in my head it was DDP it was like, your muscles are shaking, that's cool. It means you're turning muscles on. <laughs> I was like, yes, I know I can do this. My muscles are turning on. He's definitely part of like, anytime I'm doing anything that's mm. physically demanding, that voice starts appearing in my head. Cause yeah. like when I started doing this, um, when I started doing DDP yoga again, it was also when I started doing podcasting full time. And in January, 
there was like three or four occasions where I was going to catch the tram and the tram was ahead of me and I ran and ran and I missed it. Yeah. And I felt like the biggest piece of shit in the world. And like, I think it was March for the first time when it was coming, like, okay, like I'm actually going to do it. And I actually made it yeah. on, and like, holy shit. And like recently I ran for the tram. I don't know how I always managed to end up running for the tram, but it happens all the time. Mm. And recently I managed to run onto the tram and get on there. And I wasn't dead afterwards. Yeah. I wasn't like, I didn't get onto the tram and it was like, ooh, look at that man. <laughs> look, what's wrong with him? So thank you, DDP, for making me a slightly more functional, normal human being. And I told my mum about DDP yoga and she was really intrigued. And so I, I sent her some of the videos and now her and her partner have been doing them and they are really into it. That's awesome. That's so really cool. Really cool. We got to see in this documentary and something that was really awesome because they were with DDP walking around you know his hometown him telling stories going back to his old haunts and stuff and it's just when he was outside I think where the performance the, the yoga performance centre was he actually got the phone call about going into the Hall of Fame from yeah. Triple H and that was really cool that he managed to capture that yeah he was crying it was really sweet Touching. like again all those moments it's worth watching the documentary for yeah Diamond Dallas Page an anomaly in the world of professional wrestling in terms of how he got into wrestling, how he got to where he was in wrestling, um, the late start, the unorthodox background, the heights he came to, and also being probably one of the most unique people in the world of wrestling solely for his positivity, but also as well for his his charity, for lack of a better term. Foley said in this documentary, it's like, you know, people say I'm a nice guy. But I'm not going to open up my home and let Jake the Snake Roberts and Scott Hall live in there for a few months. Mm. He did that. He made his home a halfway house for broken down wrestlers. It's amazing, like, the work he's done with wrestlers with, like, real serious addiction. Like, I don't know a huge amount about Scott Hall or Jake Roberts, but I do know a little bit about the horrible addiction side of things. Mm. I saw the interview with, uh, you know, Jake Roberts at his lowest point, and he looks so old and he looks small and withered and it's so sad and it's amazing seeing not just him but like yes yeah, scott hall as well off and mick foley too mm. all of them they God, look 20 years younger foley seeing him when he jogged at wrestlemania the year before yeah. this fucking hell it was incredible like, scott hall looking like a true hunk <laughs> yeah like it's just amazing the work he's done with them and like it's not just getting someone in, into shape like, he's helped them overcome addiction. That's, That's massive. So hard, yeah. That's stuff that the WWE can't do. He, he literally was able to do what WWE couldn't do because yeah. WWE will pay for rehab for, for, for guys. And that's only going to help to a certain point. Like, hmm. you need more than that. Yeah, because you get kicked out of rehab. Yeah. Right? Like, Scott had been and there like 13 times or something like yeah. that. And I mean, some people, like at the start, I think were cynical about it, thinking, oh, is he just doing this just to help his brand or sell more DVDs and stuff and da da da. But I mean, like, there is no question that it has rehabilitated DDP's image going from a guy who was pretty much like considered a bit of a joke in the world of wrestling around 2003 to someone who is spoken of in like in, in revered terms now and, and rightfully so. But I mean, I think if you look there, if the clues are all there, this is not like a cynical man who no. tried to cash in. If you look back at his history of helping people who helped him. And he's not doing this with a lot of these guys because, oh, it's just good for the brand. I mean, he helped Scott because Scott had helped him. Yeah. He helped Jake because Jake had helped him. And that's kind of a really important thing about it. And I think he's really, just through good works, has really like opened a lot of eyes. I was so happy he went into the Hall of Fame because yeah. it was a part of me that was always like, 
yeah, but they'll always go, he wasn't a proper star in wrestling because he, you know, wasn't big in WWE or, you know, he was only big in WCW and it doesn't count. Well, I think he's proven that he belongs, he does. you know, in that Hall of Fame. When you save lives, and he has, he's literally saved lives. I mean, would would Jake Roberts be alive today if not for DDP? Unquestionably, he wouldn't be. Scott Hall, would he be alive today? Probably if, not. For DDP? Yeah, yeah. No, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure Mick Foley would be, but, like, not in nearly the good condition that... I mean, he's taken... Oh, my God. It's amazing. It's really, really... It's really encouraging. Like, it's... Like, wrestling has got, as we've seen so many times, it's got so many dark sides and so many, like, oh, Jesus, mm. here's the horrible bit. And it's just so nice. It is a genuinely lovely thing in, in wrestling like that. It's a really sweet story that transcends wrestling, I think. And that's like one of the things about DDP is that you don't need to be a wrestling fan to appreciate what he's done. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really, really cool. Not only that, but so often we have to end these episodes with, oh, where are they now? And it's sad. And, you know, they've, they've either struggled with addiction or they've died or they've had some kind of career ending injury that's mm. left them doing nothing. And it's awesome that, you get someone like DDP who, you know, it did have it hard. No means by easy way getting into wrestling. Yeah. And he had a rough time at WWF. His whole final few years of his wrestling career was a bit rough. Yeah, literally, he got his bitter wrestler starter yeah. kit. Hey, look, you've broken your neck. Your wife has left you and your run was shit. And also, you lost around a million dollars making a stupid decision. And everyone thinks you're a weirdo. Yeah. That is basically fodder for, I'm going to spend the next 20 years of my life making shoot interviews talking about how much I hate everyone and how much everyone has fucked me over. But, but not only not that, has he so. come out of it with a really successful business, you know, he's, he's happily married again now. He is in the Hall of Fame, even though he had a pretty shitty run of it at the end. And he's not, you know, horribly drug-addled. He's not got any addictions of his own. He's, he's looked after himself. He's probably in the best shape of his life, really, now. And the fact that he's impacted positively on other wrestlers. Like, that. I mean, that's amazing. That is, that is amazing, like, to have such a positive impact as a wrestler mm. it's so rare it is it's very very rare very rare indeed oh and as well something I thought was really incredible when he talked about he's remarried yeah and he was like yeah I'm remarried and uh, Kimberly and her husband they were at the wedding and like Kimberly and my wife get on so well it's lovely they're like really good friends wow that's amazing I like to think there's a, a little bit of me in there. Like me and DDP have that in common. Good terms and exes. Fun fact, uh, on the third date, I invited him around to a barbecue where I only invited my ex-boyfriends. <laughs> I'm trying to think, is there a context that will make that makes loads of sense? But <laughs> Well, just I'm on good terms with all my exes. I know. One of them's our illustrator. I I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'm more like DDP than you are. That's true. That's yep. true. Me and DDP were like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's have a look now at some of your tweets and Facebook posts looking at the king of bada-bing, Diamond Dallas Page. Well, if I want to air your dirty laundry from home, I'll talk about mine. You see, my mom, she had three kids before she was 20 and was divorced. I ended up going with my old man, which... Wild man that he was, I ain't not bouncing from family to family. Hell, I don't even remember the first eight years of my life. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Because I learned how to turn negatives into positives. Raven, you only turn positives into negatives. You talk about hardships. You talk about saying how Jake said I would turn on you. 
how I sent you to Bob Wire City, how you blame me for all your hardships. Man, you don't even know what hardship is. You know what hardship is to me? It's that guy who works a nine to five job that he absolutely hates. And then he goes to the next job that he hates even more just to make it all work. It's the mom whose old man ran out on her and her two, three kids. And now she's got to restructure her life. That's real life hardship. This BS hardship you're going through is nothing but crap. But you weigh it out. Raven's hardship, real life hardship. Think about it. Tyler TMC says, one of the greatest human beings in wrestling. He never gave up on himself or other people. One of the most over ever. That is really testament to, again, all the things that got him into wrestling. You know, it's the drive, it's the commitment, it's the passion. Dr. Scradley says, it's always talked about how old he was when he started, but the sheer variety of cool moves the man did was awesome. Yeah, I love any time a wrestler is like an innovator in terms of coming up with new moves or just doing cool shit. DDP did appropriate, but he also did try to innovate a lot, and that's really, really awesome. If you're a wrestler who's doing that, particularly when you're an older wrestler, yeah. I mean, if you're learning to, to wrestle at a late age, you think you just stick with the safe stuff, your suplexes and your, your hammer locks and whatnot, but no, uh, he, he we pushed the belt out always. Count Crory says, DDP may be the wrestler with the most positive impact on the world. DDP Ogre is a powerful tool. I'm trying to think, is there anyone who's, who can make a... I, I, I can't think of anyone. I can't think of anyone. Because, I mean, there's... I mean, Mick Foley yeah. brought Christmas every day of the year, and even that isn't as much of an impact as DDP yoga. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to, obviously, as well, to ever get into this situation, because, I mean, I know that lots of wrestlers do charitable works and do good deeds, and they're not publicised as but much. But it's the fact that he's literally changed lives yeah, himself. I think so. yeah. He put in that work. He, you know, checked up on Jake Roberts. He told him off when he needed to mm. and brought him back down and said, look, you've got to work hard for this, but I'm here for you. Yeah. That, that is work. It's grit. Absolutely. Will Poole says, I started wrestling training at 27 and the late development of DDP and now Trent Seven has been a huge inspiration. Even though I'm older than most who start, his story makes me feel that I can still do something in this business. And as someone who's had alcohol problems and has been sober for three years, the resurrection of Jake the Snake was an even bigger inspiration. Oh man, if you've not seen it, the resurrection of Jake the Snake Watch really it. documents this in a really fantastic way. It's up on Netflix actually mm. and uh, yeah do check that out it's really really awesome it's just it's amazing seeing the work he's done Incredible oh story. it's so good Scott OTD says Paige proves that in an industry so toxic and hard to love sometimes good guys positivity and passion wins I began DDP yoga this week hey best of luck with that yeah. okay yeah let me know when you master the diamond dozen <laughs> <laughs> Gurkaman says, Proof that age doesn't have to stop you from following your dreams. Also, a ridiculously nice guy who's good at interventions. You know, actually, I, I always keep forgetting this because <laughs> I because every time I post a picture, I'm like, oh yeah, but I met DDP once. Yeah. And he is easily the nicest wrestler I've ever met. Yeah. And I've met some really, really nice wrestlers. But when I went to see him, it was at a big, big convention, a big fan convention. I was on WrestleMania weekend and everyone had big cues and everyone was like, come on, come on, move along, move along. Like, let's get your picture. Let's go. Let's go. Money, money, money. And DDP was just sat up on his 
table just chatting with people. He didn't care if you'd bought a ticket to see him specifically or if you had, you know, paid to get a picture. or Because you know, people were like, one picture, $15. Yeah. But he was just like, dude, let's take some pictures. And he took like three Aww. or four. Just an awesome dude. And he had something nice to say. Literally, there was four or five people ahead of me. Every single person, he had something nice and encouraging to say. When I met him, I was just like, oh, and he's like, dude, Cactus Jack t-shirt, that's my all-time favorite wrestling t-shirt, Mick Foley's such a great, like, what a fucking great guy, like, that's you know? Amazing. That's amazing. That's so yeah, cool. So cool. I want to be like him. Let's meet him. <laughs> Do you think it's a trend as well, that people who get into wrestling at an older age are really nice? Because Trent Seven's also, like, the nicest guy in the world. Actually, all of the two nicest wrestlers yeah. I've met have been Trent Seven and DDP. Yeah. There's de- that's only two points on our data here. DDP sounds from your story a lot like Trent Seven when we met him. <laughs> it's true. Although I'm not taller than DDP. Amazing Pseudo says, Cutter so good that Austin and Triple H both tried to steal it. <laughs> DDP so good that both listened when he asked them not to. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact as well, right? This is something I wish someone had done a documentary about this but right after DDP had divorced from Kimberly he was going to film The Devil's Rejects which is a movie with Rob Zombie so he needs to go to LA and someone else had moved to LA at the time as well who was also doing stuff in movies which was Stone Cold Steve Austin and apparently there was a period of like four or five months where Steve Austin and DDP were wacky bachelors living together oh my god and get this DDP was the clean one and Steve Austin was the dirty one. Of course. So they were an odd couple. <laughs> Apparently Austin left chewing tobacco cups everywhere. Oh, that's so gross. <laughs> I was just reading this interview and he's like... Worst housemate. Steve Austin, he leaves all these dip cups everywhere. I'm like, what the fuck is a dip? <laughs> it's where all the spit goes, the brain... Brown. <laughs> I would literally vomit if I saw one of those in real life. Steve Austin, if you're listening, and I know you're not... <laughs> Stop it. Stop doing that. Stop it. Well, that's going to do it for our DDP episode. Now, we did mention earlier that the theme is going to be WCW for our next few episodes. And someone we've actually mentioned this episode is going to be front and center for our next one. We're going to be talking about Scott Hall. Razor Ramon, you know him from WWE and also from WCW. We're going to be chronicling the career of the bad guy. Requested by Liam Stollerick. This is one that I cannot wait to get my teeth into. You've seen Scott Hall now and then, and uh, he's a bit eye-catching, isn't he? Oh, he's such a hunk. Such a hunk. I have a big crush on him already. Really? Mm-hmm. Do you like his voice? I don't remember much about his voice. Oh. I just remember his giant jaw. Every, everyone here right now is going, oh, you're going to love it. It's thick as molasses, that voice. It's I remember delicious. being quite thick. It's, it's a sexy good voice. voice. It's a very sexy voice. He's a I, sexy man. I like his little chewing stick. I'm a little turned on just talking about him right Ooh, now. Let's watch some Scott Hall <laughs> matches and then have sex. <laughs> <laughs> we can both think about Scott Hall. Awesome. You think about Scott Hall, I'll think about Razor Ramon because I'm classy. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to be talking about the life and times of Scott Hall. We're after your match recommendations, your promos, your stories. He's a man who's had some highs. He's had some lows. He's had a huge career in different companies. We want to talk a little bit about, obviously, his run as Razor Ramon, but also about when he was Scott Hall as well. So any of those match recommendations or your promos or stories, thoughts and opinions, use the hashtag HowToScottHall. Tweet us at HowToWrestling. Let us know your thoughts on the bad guy. I cannot wait to talk about the outsider Scott Hall with Joe for our next episode. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of How To Wrestling. I hope you enjoyed us talking about the King of Bada Bing. And as always, if you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, or on Stitcher, do us a massive favor. Leave us a rating, a review. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Help us out in the old iTunes podcast charts. Don't forget you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. So that's facebook.com forward slash howtowrestling and at howtowrestling on Twitter. Please send in all your lovely tweets and comments all about Scott Hall and any other episode that we've ever covered ever. Or just get in touch and say hi because we love hearing from you. And if you want to support the show, you can do that in a number of ways by heading over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling. We have a number of various tiers to suit any needs or budget starting from one dollar where you get my episode notes and five dollar where we review the monthly pay-per-view reviews i remember five dollars doesn't just get you access to this month's episode you get access to our entire back catalog joe there's over 25 episodes available now for a five dollar back and you just want to back for one month and get access to all of our reviews and not just things like all of our pay-per-view reviews which go all the way back to summer sound 2015 you get stuff like our southpaw regional retrospective or UK championship retrospective or a review of American snacks all available for a $5 backing. You want to become a $10 backer you get access to a monthly live stream with me where we play some video games or if you want to become a $50 backer you can request an episode if there's a topic a wrestler or a theme that has to be discovered by Joe Graham on how to wrestling you can do so if you ever questions about any of the backings or any of the tiers on Patreon shoot us a message over on Facebook or on howtowrestling at gmail.com and don't forget for all of your howto wrestling needs howtowrestling.com has officially relaunched we've got all the information about all of our previous episodes awesome articles from me and Joe and from all our amazing wrestle pals all available from howtowrestling.com oh and special shout out as well Instagram that's where I'm doing lots of posts at the moment and I'm loving doing weird terrible photoshops follow me as I put emoji on Luke Harper instagram.com forward slash howtowrestling but that's going to do it for this episode episode it's a goodbye from me kevin and a goodbye from me joe and we'll see you next time for how to scott hall see ya